0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
2: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
1: Radio.
3: Good morning. uh, Monday morning, by the way. Top of the morning to you. Hope you're having a a great day so far. Thank you. So far, so good. Thank you. Recovering from the Emmys, those that watched it. um, (laughs) That was an all-nighter. That 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 was a Was it exhausting? Yeah. 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 Terry's, like, rubbing the Emmys
4: out of his eyes. Yeah, sort of. Well, no, you record it. Do you? Catch it about an hour into it. Just fast forward to the skits and... The bits. The skits and bits. Any awards if you care about them. I just said my wife was taking care of that.
0: That reminds me of a bit from The Simpsons where... uh, Mr. Burns gives uh, Homer an award of, along with the ceremony to avoid a lawsuit, and uh, Lisa and Bart are sitting in the audience. and, and uh, Bart says, "This or no, no." Lisa says, "This award ceremony is the biggest farce I ever saw." Bart said, "What about the Emmys?" I stand corrected.
3: <laughs> Making fun of the Emmys. Well, it uh, big win. Uh, yeah, or uh, Saturday Night Live. They they did pretty well, apparently. Yeah, this was the year for Saturday Night Live. Which is so strange. Um, in fact, even President Trump was like vicariously given an Emmy through, what's his bucket, who plays him on SNL. Trump or uh, Baldwin? Uh, Alec Baldwin said it's because of Donald Trump that he won that award. So really it belongs to Donald because he couldn't get one for his shows. They were just trying to make him feel better. Ah, the joy of it all. Emmys, uh, we'll talk Emmys today. Also, Maria, nobody solves a problem like Maria. Hurricane Maria. Hey,
0: I just met a girl named Maria. You did?
3: Yeah. Sing it. <laughs> no, hit it, for real. That'd be great. <laughs> One and a two and a... <laughs> they say Maria is forecast to become a Category 4. That's nice. The last thing the Caribbean needs is, uh, and by the way, ruining a wonderful name.
4: Maria. Maria. How's it ruined
3: she's a her- she could be a hurricane four or category four
4: all right
0: the hospitals will not allow mothers to name their babies Maria for probably the next year
3: yeah, boy times are tough. We got a great uh, show though today, so Maria will give you updates on that where where she's going to impact who she's going to impact by the way, it's September eighteenth as well respect day r e s p e c t Mm-mm. Sing it, Terry. Hit it.
4: <laughs> um, Shake it. No. My brother actually had his uh, kids sing this song the other day. Really? Yeah. Were they in, in preparation for September 18th? No, just they kind of felt like they needed that at their house.
2: There wasn't a lot of that going on. That's
3: good. On. Uh, today is the day that's been created to encourage people to focus more ways on which they can be respectful to others. Mm. For many, the day involves being more attentive to loved ones. I think it's the day you celebrate your coworkers, your oldest coworkers, the oldest coworkers, the the oldest, the senior coworkers on your team, hmm, on your specific team. Oh, your not specific, team. not like
4: on the floor. No, your 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 team in the building.
3: No, hmm. Just the ones seems like we're in the trying to
4: single you. out a certain individual here. Yeah, kind of self-serving. Uh, uh, not really respectful to the rest of the team. Well, you'll have your day someday.
0: Isn't this the song that parents would turn on after they gave their children a smackdown? Yeah, you will respect me. Is what
3: was trying to say. Yeah, and then yeah, and then they even helped them spell it out, which I thought was very helpful
0: it's as they were slapping
3: him. It's right. It's also Cheeseburger <laughs> Day. The two. <laughs> Speaking of Saturday Night Live. Speaking of SNL. uh, Cheeseburger Day. There are many theories to the beginning of the cheeseburger dating back to the 1920s. Our story suggests that Lionel Sternberger is reputed to have invented the cheeseburger in 1926 while working at his father's Pasadena, California, sandwich shop, the right spot. I didn't know there could be theories about cheeseburgers. Oh, yeah. Like some used to think that in the Bible, manna from heaven was really a cheeseburger. Mm, that is manna from heaven. Well, they kind of leave it open-ended. Yeah. They don't really describe. And, of course, it was obviously good because they kept eating it.
4: I've heard people describe it as a tortilla-type yeah. substance, shape, but I'm like, it doesn't really say. So maybe
3: it, the first breakfast burrito? Could have been. Was it, deli- it was delivered by birds. Yeah. So maybe they were frying
4: up eggs. But I think it would be a lot more entertaining if it was cheeseburger. a cheeseburger.
3: Mm. Yeah. I like that idea.
0: That would have been really tough to not gather those up on the Sabbath. Yeah. Just
3: look over. There's a there's a cheeseburger just sitting there and you're like – Try there. not picking that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay you $1,000 if you can now pick up that cheeseburger. So we'll be uh, speaking cheeseburgers today, of course, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And, of course, we're going to talk politics with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, we call him. He's, he's just – he's got a really good network and we are going to pick on Joe because Joe is in the know. The rest of us, not so in the know. We never really pick on him. No. But we're going to pick his brain.
0: OK. Sounds so a little gross.
3: Yeah. It, it's kind of awkward. Joe, just hold still. We're going to pick your brain. <laughs> no sudden movements. No, no, please, Joe. This hurts us more than it hurts you. Just sit still. So we'll get to all of that fun. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country?
4: At least 80 people were arrested in St. Louis Sunday as protests continue for a third day over former police officers' acquittal in the fiddle shooting of a black man. Former police officer Jason Stockley was found not guilty Friday in the 2011 killing of Anthony Lamar Smith. Authorities say the third night of protests saw major vandalism and property damage, and police said... One bike officer was taken to a hospital with non-life-threatening leg injury. More than 1,000 demonstrators marched through the city's downtown area on Sunday afternoon in what authorities described as a non-violent rally. Although an unruly crowd stuck around and later began throwing objects through windows and destroying property, uh, Police Commissioner Larry O'Toole gave a late news conference on Sunday and said, We're in control. This is our city, and we're going to protect it. Wow. So Crazy. It was all over the news like watching protests and oh, evolve into chaos eh, I've seen it yeah that was great yeah more of a season one sort of approach to the show maybe <laughs> if you could update the plotline a little bit I don't know yeah President Donald Trump took to Twitter Sunday morning to criticize the mock northern North Korea leader Kim jong-un I spoke with President Moon of South Korea last night Trump tweeted asked him how Rocket man is doing long gas lines forming in North Korea too bad Trump's remarks came a few days after the rogue regime tested yet another. Ballistic missile. So, Rocketman. Rocketman. Wow, they just keep doing it. So, what do you think of the diplomatic approach of making up names for foreign leaders?
3: Well, do we call them stupid idiots? Tyrants? Stupid to be subtle? Idiotic tyrants?
4: The official White House communication is how they said it. Yeah. How they say the Twitter feed is. Yeah. But then in other respects, they say it isn't. Yeah. It's just, you know. Not in a individual. good way to communicate. Probably not the best way. No. I don't know. I just thought. Call me old-fashioned. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, Elton John references. I love Rocket Man. It's the, the song, song you lit up all over the web. Um, Obamacare repeal is on the brink of coming back from the dead. Hold on. the repeal The repeal that we didn't repeal? Yes, it's on the brink of coming back from the dead. And that Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is hustling to get a new bill on the floor before the GOP's power to pass the health care legislation through a party-line vote in the Senate expires September 30th. Wow. Every day I'm hustling. Exactly. (laughs) After the 30th, they'll need a 60-vote majority to pass any legislation. No final decision has been made, but the GOP leaders has uh, told his caucus that if the bill was written by Senator Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy has the support of at least 50 of the 52 GOP senators, he will bring it to the floor, uh, as that's uh, Graham and Cassidy reporting that. That would give Republicans one more crack at repealing the Affordable Care Act, a long-time party pledge. Mm. Rand Paul already has said no, so they're down one. Uh, But they have... Pence, Mike Pence, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you, have, you need 50 of 52. Right. Rand Paul's out, then you put Mike Pence back in, so they still have the, they still what have they it. need. But if you remember the last round of Obamacare repeal efforts, Senator Susan Collins and Senator Lisa Murkowski both voted no. Didn't, didn't. Which also,
3: what's his name?
4: There was McCain. An, uh, McCain, that was Senate. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, this is all the Senate, but McCain said no before too, but he uh-huh. was there. So it all came down to just a few but no word on where anyone stands they they feel like they may have the votes but no one seems really eager well, to get it out to the Well, how many times floor. have we heard that yeah so they got till the 30th which is what not this saturday but next oh wow so good luck with that we might just hear chaos maybe, over maybe maybe things can happen finally a uh, christian numerologist claims that the world will end next saturday the 23rd when a planet will supposedly collide with earth ah oh. oh. uh. what I'm not ready. I'm just giving
3: you your update.
0: Wait, planet? I just
4: got my lawnmower fixed. There's a rogue planet yeah. that will crash into the earth on the 23rd.
0: I think it's Pluto. He's going to take everybody out with him. Pluto's He's text. had enough. He's so at the end of his rope.
4: According to Christian numerologist David Mead, verses in Luke 21, uh, what, Luke 21 25 through 26, or to the sign... That are signed that recent events, such as the recent solar eclipse and Hurricane Harvey, are signs of the apocalypse. September twenty third is a date that was pinpointed using codes from the Bible, as well as a date marker in on the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. Okay, so we're going deep on this one. Uh, Mead's views are not endorsed by the Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Eastern Orthodox branches of Christianity. Mead has built his theory on the so-called Planet X, which is also called Nerubru. Nibru? Come come again. Nibiru? Nibiru? N- Nibiru? Nibiru? Nibri- Nibri- I don't know. It's N-I-B-I-R-U. Nibiru. Nibru?
0: Which he Nibru. believes,
4: he believes this planet X will pass through Earth on September 23rd causing volcanic eru- uh, eruptions, tsunamis, and earthquakes. NASA has repeatedly said that planet X is a hoax. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute.
0: Hold planet on. X... Comes out at the same time as the iPhone X. It's Ten. It's not X. Well, they're going to be telling people maybe that it's for the rest. Yeah, no.
3: <laughs> maybe it's not Planet X. Maybe it's Planet Ten. Could be. You don't know. Well, that's maybe why NASA's got it
4: wrong, because the numerologist is obviously on top of well, this. Well, he's got Bible code. Yeah. And the pyramids of Giza. Right. I mean, how can you fight that? By the witness, by two witnesses, you shall know the truth. There you go. Ooh.
3: Well, it says two or three, so... the three or the third would be NASA, but NASA's Mm -hmm. not seeming to buy
4: into this. So wrap it up, the 23rd. Wow. You laugh
3: now,
0: but when it happens next weekend, I don't think you're going to be laughing. No, I'm excited because
3: we were going to have a really big weeding party on the 23rd. Mm. Oh, I'd love to get out of something like that. I know. So it might not be bad if another planet hits Earth. Yeah, if it can get me out of cleaning the toilets, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Wow, this is a big deal. This guy's got to be freaking out. Yeah. Oh, did you hear the muffins are ready? <laughs> <laughs> did your timer chime there? My timer just uh, chimed in saying, oh, time to get the muffins
0: out. You didn't make poppy seed this time, though, did no, you? Because no. they're doing the drug screening yeah. today. Remember. Remember, I got in trouble last
3: time. Uh, anybody watch the Emmys last night? Fast forward through the whole thing. I didn't watch
4: them. But I hear it was really anti-Trump, which Not I really. find hard to believe. Are you serious? Yeah. It wasn't as anti-Trump as other broadcasts I have seen. Really? Well, you mean like CNN? No, like the like MTV Fox. Music Awards a couple of weeks ago was like really like over that's the top it. that way, really political. This was this was more just sort of poking fun. I mean, they didn't like someone didn't get up there and start going off on refugees or talk about the the DACA situation that's going on. Yeah, that's nothing good. like that. It was more just. Kind of alluding to things.
0: You know, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the only late night show host that was somewhat amiable with uh, President Trump, Jimmy Fallon, was not nominated for an Emmy. Wow. He also wasn't on the show.
4: Well, poor Jimmy. But the other late night hosts were. The other Jimmy? They all featured. The other Jimmy was there. They had Seth Meyers was on there, Pretty too. much
3: everybody else but him was
4: nominated. So
0: everybody
3: that wasn't chummy with Trump was... Yes. Yeah. And then some won Emmys. So it's really a political thing. It's not about not your necessarily. Talent. We
0: don't
4: know why Jimmy Fallon wasn't. And there. yet there we the
0: assuming. person the person who gave a very glowing uh, portrayal of President Trump, Alec Baldwin, he did win an Emmy.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, he he is Donald Trump. Many say. He's many say he makes a better President Trump than President Trump. Wrong. I wonder how President Trump felt we'll, about the night. We'll find out. I don't know if he's actually uh, said well, anything as of yet. You would think that we would know by 5 a.m. this morning. You'd think. When he normally sends out I mean, his he first has, bombastic He has a busy week ahead of him. Tweet. Yeah, he's going
4: to the UN. He's in New York preparing for meetings with the UN. Is he staying at Trump Tower? Not sure. You'd think he would, but, you know, New York, it's kind of You'd a think the logistical fact that nightmare.
3: We see, or the Secret Service pays like $40,000 to park their <laughs> trucks or something? Yeah. At his place, right? Seems like well, it's tough to find parking in yeah. Manhattan. So, oh, totally. Yeah. And I think it would be super valuable if maybe they instead of like rent or staying up in the apartment, they could just keep him down in the trucks.
4: All right, that's a cheaper way to maybe protect get him the an RV. They're making really nice. Oh, there's some RVs nice anymore.
3: RVs. Yeah, that's how I'm going to retire. By the way,
4: just get an RV, uh-huh.
3: travel the country.
4: As the the promotional line they have is "Go RVing," which is really cumbersome, but yeah.
0: I'll support you in that decision as long as you don't spend a year shopping for it and then immediately regret it after you buy it. And then immediately buy some
4: tent instead of an <laughs> RV. The problem is when you get the RV and you decide you don't want the RV, yeah. getting rid of the RV. No, I'm going to buy a used it's RV. It's just hard to move that product on down the line. No, I see a lot of people like just leave them by the side of the road. Just to let it on fire. Yeah, not a big not Now, probably what I found was the the funniest moment of the night. What? Stephen Colbert, the host, was concerned about crowd size. So he brought out an expert on crowd size, Sean Spicer. Is there
3: anyone who could say how big the audience is? Sean, do you know?
2: Wow. This will
5: be the largest audience to witness an Emmy's both
6: in person and around the world. Melissa McCarthy, everybody, give it up.
4: <laughs> the camera kept flashing to Melissa McCarthy. She's like, what's going on?
3: What is happening?
4: So he came out with a podium on wheels. See, they should have had the motorized podium. Yeah, that would have be. been better. With Saturday Night Live so involved, you just call them up. They right. ship it over. You and have a motorized Spicer podium. Spicer actually driving it. Yeah. Instead, he just sort of wheeled this thing out. and you're like, eh, Missed a moment. He could have drove around the stage a little bit. But and, but Lauren, what's his name? Lauren, Lauren Michaels. Lauren Should've Michaels out,
3: wouldn't do it. I bet.
4: I, I bet they know. thought about it. Should have
0: thrown out Come packs on. of gum to the
3: audience. Yeah. Boy, that's a big deal. No. Sean Spicer was on. It was the Emmys. Stephen
4: Colbert's idea. Apparently,
3: he thought it would be funny.
4: Yeah, he and he that. was right.
3: But Sean Spicer now going to have to talk to the president. Nah. And, well, they might talk. And Spicer like, just
4: worried about getting his speaker fees up. Trying to increase those fees as smart. much as possible. Super smart. Apparently, um, he's not really as in demand as he thought he was. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been reading some things like,
2: eh, not a, not, not, as not a huge in draw. He's That's a, the
4: silliest thing I've ever heard. Right. He's, he has some people interested, but you know, he was hoping
2: for. He'll more get there. He, what response. he
3: needs is his book. Does he have a book out yet? He's working on one. Once the book's out, then you're in demand.
2: Yeah.
3: Is it a cooking book? Yeah, about spices. cooking with spicy.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Forty-two lost spices. But the rest of the night was just I mean there wasn't uh, there were some funny things there i mean the the open was kind of a political open there were some things in there, but it wasn't that bad, but at the same time, do you remember when everyone was wondering if Stephen Colbert's show would even
3: work? yeah, and it wasn't really working because he was trying to
4: avoid politics. being well no he was he was still doing politics, but he wasn't doing his character from yeah. Comedy Central, because that was a different show, and he was yeah. trying to do something more mainstream. And then he just gave in to the impulse and went nuts. And then, and Donald Trump kept feeding him stuff. Well, there's that too. And now he's it killing is, it. It is kind of sometimes a little over the top. Yeah, it I'll makes watch you wonder. You're like, eh, makes okay. you wonder
3: if you know, if a President Trump, if if he were no longer president, will these, will his show be as good? I don't know. That's every night. That's what he does. What if he just had a really nice. You know, sincere president. Nobody watch.
4: Yeah. He lost his ratings.
0: Another big yawner of a moment. Julia Louis-Dreyfus wins her sixth consecutive Emmy.
4: Man, she's
3: good. She's great. Maybe she should be the next vice president. Yeah, I hear hear she's done a show on it. So many would argue she knows more than the current politicians. You're wrong. Not completely, yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk politics in a bit. Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Joe in the know. He's going to be joining us and uh, hopefully giving us some insight about what's going on behind the scenes. He'll always say that he doesn't know, but he really knows because Joe is in the know. Straight ahead, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. It is Monday morning, which means it's time to talk politics. And who better to help us with that than our Washington insider, Joe in the know, we call him. And, uh, you know, Joe would just Joe would just assume, you know, not be called Joe in the know. But what else are we going to call him? A Dodgers fan, for heaven's sakes. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show, my friend.
7: Matt, thanks for having me. I'm sitting here in my Dodger baseball cap, and I've got actually kind of some breaking news here. What, what, what? And you know that the Dodgers had maybe the well the biggest collapse yeah. in their own history, maybe baseball history, from somebody so high to losing, I think, 17 out of 18 games. It, it got so bad that Magic Johnson, who was one of the owners of the Dodgers, was was uh, marketing his share. He wanted to get out. Just really? And uh yeah, so he was in negotiations with a billionaire from the Philippines. And they got right down to the nub of things, but happily for Dodgers fans, the, the deal foundered because the the uh Filipino businessman wanted to name the Dodgers and that was just a bridge too far, but <laughs> he wanted to name them he wanted to name them the Manila Folders. <laughs> That's good. this is not about politics.
3: (laughs) That's really good. So apparently the number is four, huh? They're about four games away from clinching the division.
7: Right. They've won, and they've won three out of the last four games, two against Washington, another, you know, the Eastern Division leader. So I think they're at least back into maybe being like real Dodgers.
3: Golly, good, huh? That's good news. That's good news, especially for you, because – Joe, if not, your world is just politics and in family and everything else, really. That's um, that you do. Talk about what you're seeing back in in uh, Washington D.C. What do you think about this bipartisan President Trump, and how do you think it's going to play?
7: Wow, it's so interesting. I, I think the the immediate, I guess, recent question is his uh, I'm going to put. Quotation marks around the word "deal" because apparently yeah. there were three people in a meeting, but they weren't all in the same meeting. <laughs> um, the, uh, on the on the DACA talk, talking about basically doing making a deal on uh, the Dreamer children of immigrants who are here unlawfully but have been here for a long time. And anyway, I won't go into the whole you know politics of that. Other than that. Uh, I guess Trump had dinner with, with Chuck and his new BFF, Chuck and Nancy. <laughs> and uh, and they decided that there's some kind of a deal here, but that it probably wouldn't involve funding the wall. So at one level, it sounded kind of one-sided. Uh, at least that's, and that's how it was portray- portrayed, mostly by Schumer. I didn't hear many comments from Pelosi on this, but, but Schumer. Tru- Trump, then the next day, President Trump... Uh, sort of had to go through a series of tweets where he says, "Oh, we met, and there's no deal uh don't worry, the wall's going to be built and then he then he kind of says another tweet that sort of outlines the elements of the 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 non deal not, the non-deal, you know? so i don't know it's a, but I think it's, it's a this is a pattern, maybe it's a pattern that's a, a little bit more interesting because it goes back just like a, uh, even a couple of weeks before, barely a couple of weeks before uh he reached a deal with the Democrats. Now, the Republicans were more involved in this, but he, re- he, re- he reached a deal with the Democrats on extending the budget ceiling hmm. and extending federal spending at the same time providing relief for Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. And that deal was very hotly contested. It didn't get quite as much publicity because what happened is they made the deal. Mitch McConnell was in the room. He introduced the bill the next day, and 100% of the Democrats there voted. I guess Senator Menendez is at his trial, so he wasn't there to vote. But all the Democrats who were there voted for it. All the Republicans voted for it, except for 17 conservatives. Uh, So the deal was done. It couldn't have been done, I don't think, if it wasn't this bipartisan arrangement. and it gave it gave uh, I think a lot of hope to uh, to the president. Well, maybe there's a way to be more bipartisan here. I don't know. We'll we'll say, I do know this. Yeah, I agree with you very much. That I don't really like to, how you describe me, but it's okay. <laughs> you're because nice, you're a nice guy. Yeah, thanks. But by a weird quirk of fate, I was actually in the office of a fairly senior senator, not from our state, um, who voted with the president and with the majority, but was really angry about the deal, really, really angry about the deal. So even some of the senators who voted for the deal were very upset at, uh, in their view, making a deal with the devil, the uh, uh, dealing, working with the Democrats. So that was the precursor for this new deal. The new deal, however, actually only involved, like I said, uh, well, not, not what I said, but the News reports say it was just a dinner at the White House uh, with the two leaders, the House and the Senate leader on the Democrat side.
3: But it's a big deal, right? I mean, even to be having dinners with uh, these leaders shouldn't be a big deal. But uh, President Obama didn't seem to enjoy doing that. Um, It seems like President Trump and really even according to uh, Chuck Schumer, he, he really likes these guys.
7: Well, I think, as it happens, Schumer and Trump have a fairly long-standing relationship. I mean, both from New York City, uh, President Trump in his private life made lots of deals with Democrats. Right. Uh, which, which by the way, you have to do if you're in New York. It's a, it's a blue state. So, uh, yeah, I, I think... Um, uh, Possibly, I don't know. But there there was some surprise expressed, at least on the Democrat side, at, at how affable he was, how open he was to discussing things. Um, the the issue was, and there was this just firestorm on the right, uh, some of which was denial. He didn't really make a deal. He would never do that. Others saying, see, you know, some of the never Trumpers are saying, see, we told you all along. You know, he's not yeah. Republican. But the issue was the core issue that Trump campaigned on. That that was the deal. I mean, the budget deal is a deal. You know, the budget deal. You can see elements. There had to be some kind of a deal, um, and it likely would have had to involve Democrats. So that's. But this is now touching one of the kind of the lightning rods, the core issue on which he ran: Uh, no amnesty, wall paid for by the Mexicans, a beautiful, brilliant, you know, wall uh, and all of that was core to his campaign message. And then to sit down alone with the other the other team that that brought uh, howls of, uh, of criticism from some of Trump's biggest supporters. Well,
3: and it's man, talk about crazy bedfellows, because if the Democrats help President Trump move even a little bit of his agenda or even look like he's they're helping him get stuff done, does that not in the end um, make his ratings better? I mean, he, he may be the president that can get something done if he could somehow negotiate bipartisanship.
7: Oh, I think that's clearly – in his mind i mean his his ratings actually have gone up a little bit you know marginally a few few points uh still below 50 a long way below 50 on average the average of of the polls uh for him to win uh, again in in 2020 he's going to have to persuade some set of uh, some set of americans you know not on the left but in the middle there the, the vanishingly small middle Gonna have to persuade enough of them to vote for him if he's gonna get reelected. Yeah. So, you know, I see some, you know, some method there, but it's a dangerous course. Uh, like I say, a deal on the budget is one thing. A deal on, you know, I think it was Laura Ingram who said that she's now suffering from PTSD. <laughs> Pelosi Trump Schumer.
3: Syndrome <laughs> disorder that's great, yeah, yeah. Not disorder,
7: uh, so she, she's uh, really
3: struggling because this she can't believe this is happening. Is um, talk about just kind of the journalist side of you as a past editor. What do you think of the battle between the White House and ESPN?
8: Well,
7: uh, well, let me just say uh, to start with. I never thought much of ESPN as journalists. Right. Okay? I mean, they are they are journalists in the sense that they cover sports journalism. But by and large, sports journalism has been pretty empty of of political content until in recent years. And I think ESPN has decided that the the P uh, might they might need to be a little more political uh, in their discussions. And this goes back. The is a Kaepernick thing last year, but even earlier, uh, you know, they've been edging more and more toward politics. And there's a body of thinking that this is affecting their ratings. So, uh, they, uh, ESPN has been losing subscribers like crazy. Right. Uh, I personally don't believe it's all about politics, but I think some of it might be about politics. Most people want to turn on the TV and watch a football game or a baseball game. Uh, or hear what the golf school, you know, it's, and it seems like that. And and there's been this sort of lately this overlay of uh, of you know politics. And when you know somebody comes out and basically says you're the president's a white supremacist,
2: mm. um,
7: you know that's that doesn't sound very sportsy to me. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, and then to have the president,
3: uh, you know, text or tweeting daily comments about ESPN. I mean, this is. One of those head to head battles that it seems like you just never want to be pulled into,
7: yeah, I mean, we've had numerous conversations on this program about uh the the tweeting president <laughs> um, but I mean in this case it's probably a little bit i mean, i i I, uh, I guess a lot of people on the left do think of the president as or or almost any Republicans as white supremacists, i i personally. Kind of reject that in in the case of many Republicans, and I don't think the president is there either. Right. So, right. you know, he I think he probably had some reason to be a little bit offended.
3: Oh yeah, and and really true. I guess uh, in the end, he's he can be the he can be a bully. He I mean he can tweet. He's got a voice. He's got a lot of followers, and he's the president of the United States. Uh, let's do this again. We're speaking with Joe Cannon, who is Joe in the know, we call him. Joe is our Washington insider, also CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, we're going to get into President Trump and, and his speech coming up at the United Nations on Tuesday. Uh, they're playing tough ball now with um, North Korea. I'd like to find out from Joe what his thoughts on the idea, what's going on with North Korea. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Continue with us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking with Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. Joe in the know. And uh, we just like to, to understand what's going on politically. And Joe seems to have a lot of friends in very high places. And yet he doesn't. He'll claim. But we love him and we love having his insight on the show. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Talk to me about... Uh, What you think about the President Trump's uh, national, you know, UN uh, visit this Tuesday, he'll be giving a big speech. But there is some really strong, tough talk coming from uh, Ambassador um, Haley. What's her name? Uh, the U.S. Nikki, Nikki, Nikki Haley. Haley. Yep. It's, it's, Nikki Haley. And boy, they're I mean, she's basically saying when he when he claimed about, you know, fire and fury coming from the United States, uh, if if things didn't get straightened up with North Korea, she said, we mean it. We're not we're not just blowing smoke.
7: Well, I I, I just don't know enough about the whole korean political north korean politics like what you do have is you have some really smart generals um, uh, at defense and at national security and even as you know chief of staff uh, around trump who've given a lot of thought to what would happen here so i suspect there there are multiple layers of uh game going on here so you've got the rhetorical game which is which is you know it, Designed, I think, to to push Kim Jong Un. Yeah, I, I don't know in what direction. You yeah. got the sanctions game going, which is both U.S. sanctions and UN sanctions, and the UN. You know, I think unanimously, but but overwhelmingly, supported sanctions, further sanctions. So you've got that layer, and then I'm sure you've got enormously complicated uh, military calculations going on. So it's all these layers of things are probably unlike some people perceive the Trump administration. I'm kind of thinking this is a lot more carefully devised strategy at all at all of those levels. Yeah.
3: it also, I mean, they keep trying to get China involved, Russia involved. And yet, um, like one of the statements from Nikki Haley was the fact that um, we've been kicking the can down the road for a while and now we're out of road. And especially with um, North Korea firing missiles over Japan, over and over, I mean, this is turning into a real, you know, game of cat and mouse.
7: No, it's a real, it's more real in, in any any time, since any time that I've been following it in, in recent years. I mean, yeah, he threatened, blustered, we have nuclear, you know, this goes back to the Clinton administration. Uh, but Having said that, what you just said is really, really true. Now it's real missiles, real potential nuclear warheads, possibly even hydrogen mm. power, you know, uh, a warhead, uh, all of these things. And, and you know, in a region, in the area there that uh, where Japan doesn't have a military, doesn't have nuclear weapons and all that's by design going back to World War II, Yet they are the strongest economy, one of the strongest, obviously one of the strongest economies in the world, but certainly in that, that region and a long, long time mortal enemy of China and seen, seen that way by both sides. And so you're, you're right. I, I don't think and I don't think anyone thinks that the solution to this is just within the Amer- American's hands in general or the American military hands in particular. Yeah, so This has to be solved by a bunch of people in that neighborhood.
3: That's so true. And um, I guess it would destabilize China probably in the biggest way, right? I mean, that's that's the last thing they need. So is, is there a way that China can get more involved?
7: Well, I think they already have been getting more involved. I mean, the question is, do they really want to end the dictatorship, ownership of nuclear weapons in that space in between it and the West. I mean, the geographical physical space between China and South Korea is occupied there by North Korea. It's a buffer. And this goes all the way back to the Korean war. Mm. You know, General MacArthur was fired and probably didn't become president of the United States because he was fired over his desire to invade the Chinese mainland. And back, back then, Truman said no. You know, North Korea is a proxy, is a puppet, I to use those terms in those days, a puppet state of China, and we're not going to risk war with China, even in the late 40s, early 50s, mm. uh, over North Korea. So there's, this is embedded pretty long term in U.S. foreign policy, but now it's different. Now you've got that little buffer has nuclear warheads, nuclear uh, potential for nuclear ballistic missiles that not only can hit Japan. That can hit uh, American territory. So the calculus has changed an awful lot, and a lot more people are involved in it than just China and the U.S. or just North Korea and the U.S.
2: Boy, it'll we're... be
7: interesting to watch his speech. I mean, we know one thing uh, that President Trump can really rise to occasions. He's yeah. given some pretty terrific speeches. Uh, and this is, you know, my guess is it's likely going to be one of them. He's going to have a teleprompter there, and uh, this speech will have been very carefully thought out by a lot of folks. Again, I, I think this whole North Korea situation is not like some other off-the-cuff kind of things that appear to happen. There's, there's probably a lot of thought going into all the the layers of, of uh, this. Uh, Very complicated controversy.
3: Talk about uh, coming back to the United States. Um, Apparently, there's there was a little discrepancy or issue in the questioning of um, some some uh, potential judges, I guess, uh, a federal judicial nominee from Notre Dame, a law professor, Amy Coney Barrett, um, where Democrats that are on the judicial committee are asking if she's an Orthodox Catholic.
7: Honestly, we could spend a lot of time talking about it. This is
2: one of the most
7: frightening things. As a, as a person of religion, myself and most of your listeners are uh, going to be religious folks, to have two, and actually three, because it turns out noted legal scholar Senator Al Franken has weighed in on this too. Oh, boy, yeah. Um, uh, oh, oh, that's right. No, he's a comic. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a comedian. Right. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> SNL <laughs> he's, he's is not, on his resume. Not a, not a, not a noted legal scholar. He, right.
2: Um,
7: but, you know, you do have uh, two pretty big-time Democrats, uh, Senator Feinstein and, and Senator Durbin, d- deeply questioned. This reminds me, Although I don't honestly remember this, but it was during the time I was alive, and when uh, you know the Senate or the House or a uh, committee on un-American activities would say, uh, "Are you or have you ever been a communist?" You know, it's like putting somebody in a in a real box because of their religious belief, when the first words in the First Amendment of the Constitution are all about religion and and religious practice religious freedom. Um, it's pretty stunning to be asked if you're an Orthodox Catholic. And I, you know, there's been a lot of commentary on this, but but what really is happening here is every single judge or judicial nominee has some kind of philosophy. Right. And what, what, what Feinstein was singling out was a particular... Kind that may be rooted in religion. Even though, by, by the way, Miss Barrett and I think maybe the dean of, of one of the law schools now wrote a um, wrote a, a, a law review article on religion and what what the, how what you what judges deal with um, when they have religious backgrounds. As she said, she uh, uh, Professor Barrett said judges cannot nor should they try to align the legal system with their church's moral teachings whenever they diverge. They, you deal with the law as the law is written, and you, you apply it. But every judge brings a view to it. And, and my own view of this is, is that Dianne Feinstein reflects a secular orthodoxy. Every bit of deeply held belief about things, it just comes from a different place— hmm than somebody who may be religiously orthodox but to to in, introduce that into with you know the whole kind of repugnance and condescension oh you're an orthodox catholic therefore you can't sit on a court because we really only want secular orthodox folks on on there right on on court so i don't know so it's very disturbing it's deeply deeply disturbing and Yeah, Maybe talk about it more later, but it's –
3: Boy, Joe, times, they are a-changing. It just seems like every week something new, something – some other different, interesting, extreme angle um, on on our lives. Well, Joe, we appreciate uh, your time. Joe in the know, we call him again. He is uh, also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can find out more information by going to their website, fuelfreedom.org. And, uh, and, and learn what, the, what they're trying to do for fuel costs in the United States. We'll continue the journey, folks, and uh, really do what we can on the program to help you live longer and live uh, stronger lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
8: BYU Radio.
5: Talk about good. missed your chance to tune into your favorite shows with the byu radio app you don't have to worry get hundreds of episodes of highway 89 top of mind the matt townsend show and all the rest right at your fingertips it's free to download and available on ios android and amazon mobile devices get the byu radio app today talk about good
8: Every day on Top of Mind, we get the story behind the story, like how BYU head football coach Kalani Satake acts at home.
7: The one thing that I'm proud of as a coach is that uh, my wife and kids can't tell whether we won or lost the game by, my, by the way I act.
8: Tune in to Top of Mind weekdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Along with Terry South and Jeffrey Simpson, the gang is all here. And while we have a few more minutes, we wanted to bring up um, an interesting idea. I mean, you've got all these social media, you know, players, people with big Twitter feeds, people uh, with uh, with a large following online, or even really, I guess, YouTube
4: programs. But now Congress may be looking into them. I I read last week that there's certain committees that are kind of looking into how celebrities and other people who are considered influencers, people who other people will follow and listen to, and how they advertise on social media because some people feel like you can do whatever you want as long as you put like hashtag ad. Yeah, right. it's an ad. You make sure it's an ad. You just put the word in there. Everyone's fine with that, and you do it. But there's some situations where someone, say, they create the product. They're the whole reason the product exists, but then no one really knows that, and so they just come out with their sort of celebrity public stance and go, hey, look what I just found, mm. and drive all this traffic that way, and it's disingenuous, and is it false advertising? Or you kind of – there's, it's, there's a weird situation there. Now um, – some reason Because like, it's like fake. I mean, I guess this is the
3: beginning of possible fake news,
4: fake news. And and just do we need to have some sort of regulation on what you can just throw out there as an endorsement with. Is it a good product? Is it not? I mean, there oh. was there's been like lip balm people endorsed yeah. and like inflame people's faces. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But it says Fat that lip. Um, advertisers spend $570 million on Instagram influencers alone in 2016. So 500 they're saying that the whole influencer market is a billion dollar industry. Wow. So these big stars have huge followings and they go, eh, I like these shoes and they make like 20 grand yeah. just for putting a post out. Well, that's how that one of the Kardashian daughters has built a makeup empire. Yes. And she probably really just started with a a great Twitter feed. One marketing agency in this article from uh, Recode says that uh, earlier this year, micro-influencers accounts with less than 30,000 followers, but a loyal following were the way to go because you have more targeted for specific products. This gets into, say, YouTube and how YouTube is promoting itself also because you have kids in there watching it, all kinds of different you know, different age groups. Um, and so they start going through, and there's, there's different tiers. So if you're a, a, like a, a tier one, that's like your top, most yeah. all the uh, crazy amount of followers, and they get like $21,000 a post. Unbelievable. Is kind of the money. Tier two, apparently, because they're more targeted, they're not as wide, not as broadcast right. as you can. they make about 32000 they make more a little bit more because you're getting to a more targeted audience rather sure. than more of a mass media sure. approach with the bigger stars and then it goes down from there but starting to look at can these people as they are influencers are yeah. they do we need to regulate well how they promote the advertising because in advertising there's rules like what right. you can and can't say. can't say does that need to be on social media well
3: if anybody's out there listening if they want a tier 6 or 7 yeah Uh, We're here for you, and we're totally willing, willing to put on some lip balm, even if it makes our lips, you know, swell up. No big deal. We'll just call ourselves Hot Lips. Hot Lips! We'll continue the journey more with Hot Lips after this on The Matt Townsend Show.
6: BBC
1: World Service News.
6: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU
2: Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Hope uh, all is going well with you so far as you're getting back at it, back in the swing of things. Today we will be uh we got a lot to cover. I'm joined, of course, by Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. So much to cover today, including the video. We'll talk a little bit about the video of President Trump that he retweeted of him hitting a golf ball that actually uh, then jokingly hits Hillary Clinton and knocks her out on a airplane.
4: Yes. It, uh, did you see where the video came from? No. Where did it come from? A site that the President of the United States probably shouldn't be retweeting from. Really? Wow. That's embarrassing. Yeah. So, and so it, he retweets it, it, it disappeared quickly.
3: Well, he was just having fun if it was him. But was it was it was it the joke that I mean, did it get pulled off because it was inappropriate because it involved Mrs. Clinton?
4: Not clear. Or was it, the it origin, pulled off because of where it was where it originated? The the origin of the of of the video Um, And, you know, the content of the video both have questions and it just just went away. So there's no – it may come up at a press conference if they have one today. If it does, we'll probably not get an answer and be told we'll check on that and then never follow up.
3: He wasn't pleased
0: with the way his hair looked in the video. So he took it down.
3: It was really choppy editing. You can't go from an outdoor scene with President Trump on the golf course then to Mrs. Clinton tripping as she gets on an airplane with a ball hitting her in the back. Why not? It's just bad editing. Hmm. I learned that in my editing class in college. That's, that's – it's a jump cut. It's a jump edit. Is
2: that
3: what they call it? And yes. You, you can't – it needs to have a more fluid um, edit or something in between. Maybe – I don't know. Maybe a beautiful picture. I don't know. It's, it's just, again, craziness that if the president would stop tweeting, these little things may not make as big of a deal. But how do you stop art? (laughs) That's the question we've been asking for years. Hey, uh, it's by the way, September 18th is Respect Day. This is the day we enjoy a little respect. And I'd appreciate you guys to start that. I would appreciate
0: it if you would find out what it means to me. What do you you mean by that?
3: Like find out what it means to me. RESPECT? To me? Find out what it means to you? Yes, to me. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, but you're just not using your sentences. Do you have any more you want to tell us about what it means to you? Oh, just a
2: little
0: bit more. Yeah. Sock it to
3: me. Okay, so uh RESPECT it's also cheeseburger day. <laughs> Uh, paying tribute to Saturday Night Live, who also swept – or not didn't sweep, but they had a really good showing last they night. They did extremely well. And again, um, it, it's it got to frustrate uh, – because uh, these are the Emmys. There's a lot of actors, a lot of writers doing a lot of other work. And, you know, all the attention goes to SNL. See,
0: that's why I was so confused when they were so the the makers of Saturday Night Live and the actors were just so downtrodden when President Trump won. And I was thinking to myself, you've stumbled upon a gold mine here. And clearly that's the case because they got all these awards at the Emmys because they're doing all this Trump coverage. Yeah,
3: it's all good. And so don't ever complain about President Trump if you're in Hollywood.
2: You're Plenty making hay, yeah.
3: yeah. You're getting Emmys. And many, you know, the, the neat thing is at least they're giving their, they're, they're recognizing who's really bringing them the Emmy.
0: I think they're just, they're determined to give everybody an award except Donald Trump.
3: It's true. Even Sean Spicer showed up, a little rebrand for the Spicer. Spicy Spice. Apparently he's going to be starting a new show, his own show which is a cooking show about how to use more spice in your cooking recipes. Here's the clip from him on the Emmys. Is there anyone who could say how big the audience is? Sean, do you know?
5: This will be the largest audience to witness an Emmys, period. Both in person and around the world, Melissa McCarthy, everybody,
0: give it up. By the way, I think I think his uh, standing ovation and applause was was much longer than whatever President Trump got.
2: Yeah,
3: that's great. That is that really is a very grown up thing to do because he was beat up by the press, and now he shows up at the Emmys and kills it. Now he's going to be selling more and more books when he finally gets his book done. Whenever that may be, whenever that may, be. I think they missed. They misspoke though. They they said he was Melissa McCarthy. It, it, they, it they're was still a joke. getting those things confused. Mm. Oh, that was a joke. Yeah, they didn't mean that. No. Okay, good to know. Good to know. We'll cover. Uh, we'll give you more and more of the uh, updates from um, the Emmys because I'm sure Jeff's going to mention three more shows from the Emmys. Stranger Things. Okay. I don't think it won anything. I don't no. think it did.
0: Handmaid's Tale won pretty much everything.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, anything with a tail will. Well,
0: and uh, Big Little Lies from HBO also won a lot.
3: See? You'll probably get more of that on the Friday, your Friday show. Mm. Screen cleaning. You got it right. I gave you a chance to pitch it, and you just went quiet on me. Anyway, we'll get to all of that fun stuff. Plus, uh, we're also going to get into how childhood trauma can affect mental and physical health into adulthood. So, the little things that happen to you as a child, we'll be talking about how the what Im- big impact it has throughout uh, your life but first let's get to the real headlines with uh, terry south terry what's going on around the country we should be paying
4: attention to new york police and a host of federal agencies are preparing for the annual traffic and security nightmare known as the united nations general assembly featuring a week of speeches by u.s president donald trump and a parade of other dignitaries the meetings meeting of the world's top leaders and diplomats scheduled to begin on tuesday though they're having meetings as we speak uh, will bring street closures, thousands of police officers, hundreds of protesters to midtown Manhattan, an area already plagued with gridlock on an average weekday. You know, It's the equivalent of the Super Bowl of security, said J. Peter Donald, a spokesperson for the New York City Police Department. Trump will be on hand Monday and Tuesday when he will address the body of world leaders for the first time. So today he's in some meetings. I don't know if he's speaking. Tomorrow's his big, like, I'm addressing everybody. Yeah. Stop the world. Tomorrow, Yeah, that, that's...
3: New York loves it when the UN's in session, and also when
4: Donald Trump is getting ready to do anything in New York City. Right. They just love him. Just adds to the chaos. And every single uh, dignitary has a Secret Service yeah. attachment with them. This is where the, the Secret Service makes all their the money. The last thing you want is anyone having any sort of problem, any attack, or anything happening uh-huh. on our soil. Just get them in, get them yeah. through the business, and get them out of country. You know, so it's kind of a, a chaos-related situation, but. Um, we'll be able to hear President Trump address the organization he doesn't have a high standard of opinion for. No, he's, yeah. He's, he's even said this morning that they're not quite living up to their mission or the money that's given to them to achieve that mission. Oh, boy. He admitted that? That's what he said. Wow. No, so oh, we Well, they that. they meaning the U.N.
3: Oh, I see. He's living up to his mission. Oh, sure. Okay. And the money he gets. Right. Absolutely.
4: We'll soon get that confused. Yeah. Four American tourists were hit with an acid attack in Marseille, Marseilles, France on Sunday. The uh, female tourists were sprayed in the face of the city's main train station. Two of them were taken to hospital. A uh, 41-year-old woman was arrested. Officials said it's unclear whether the incident is terror-related. I've seen reports. I believe that they're saying that it's not. She's just right. kind of motivated by whatever reason to do it, not terror terrorism. Uh, Boston College reported that the four Americans, all women in their 20s, are students studying abroad. Mm. So they're Boston College students. They got hit in the face with acid. They're recovering, but who knows what the acid will do scary. to them That is scary. It uh, seems random with totally the attack. Totally random. So. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on Sunday said President Trump is open to remaining in the Paris Climate Accord under the right conditions. The president said he's open to finding those conditions where he can remain engaged with others on what we all agree is still a changing or challenging issue, Tillerson said on CBS's Face the Nation. The comments came a day after the White House denied a Wall Street Journal report that made similar claims. In a statement, Deputy Press Secretary Lindsey Walter said there has been no change in the U.S. position on the Paris Agreement, but added a caveat as the president has made abundantly clear the U.S. is withdrawing unless we can reenter on terms that are more favorable to our country. Also on Sunday, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster said on Fox News that Trump is absolutely not reconsidering pulling out of the climate accord. That's a false report. So Tillerson said he is, or he's open to it. Yeah, he's open to McMaster working. says not, not in any condition is this happening. And the White House said no, but, you know, we're thinking about it. Okay, so the neat thing is... No one's on the same page. Trump's yes.
3: administration on three different pages. <laughs> Do you remember when we used to correlate between the three...
4: We'd have one spokesperson. Maybe a morning phone call before the Sunday shows. Yeah. Kind of get on board. Okay, we're all saying this, right? Okay, go ahead. Okay, now, yeah, yeah. yeah. But instead, we get, who knows if someone has three day old information Mm -hmm. or if they all just have no idea. Finally, some Hmm. good news for men that are balding. What? If you're stressing out about going bald, stop your thinning hair might be doing you a favor. That's because a new study from researchers at the University of Pennsylvania titled Shorn Scalps and Perception of Male Dominance found that bald men are viewed as more confident, dominant, and taller. Ah, debatable. Researchers gave three major tests to college students, both men and women, asking them to rate images of men in terms of attractiveness, confidence, and dominance. Some of the images were of the same man twice: one time with a full head of hair, another time bald. Those uh, surveyed related rated bald men as the most confident and dominant. His oh, and they were, they were viewed as nearly an inch taller on average huh. and a bit stronger as well. Wow. However, in terms of attractiveness, the bald men didn't fare quite as well, receiving a significantly lower rating than that of their thick-haired counterparts on the final two tests, according to researchers. Because of these findings, researchers wrote that bald men, quote, will fare better economically in negotiations because of their dominant appearance. Interesting. Interesting. There is uh, more bad news. However, the study also found that balding—a balding man can also uh, make uh, balding can make a man look four years older on average. So it makes you look older when you have no hair.
0: Well, yeah, I buy into this. Just look at the Mister Clean guy. Oh, that guy—he is ripped.
3: Yeah, he's very confident. He's very clean. Very clean, and I think he owns the cleaning world. Right? When Mister Clean walks into a room, you first you're like. Where did you get your white pants that match your white shirt?
0: I will say this, though. And your white though, shoes. I,
3: I don't think he's that attractive. See? So, th- so, I so think then you got to know exactly what you're going right. for. Domination, world mm. domination. Right. Or uh, if you want
4: to win the good looks contest. Mm. That's how you decide if you want Well, no. What they say hair, at the end of the article is if you – if still, if your hair is starting to thin, the researchers have a bold suggestion – Toss out the Rogaine and just shave it all off. Hmm. Well, sure, but if you don't want anyone to find you attractive, because when, you know, when you, the problem is, if you're going bald, if you try to keep whatever hair you have, that's yeah. equally, well, not equally. It's probably more not attractive because you just have like patches of hair here and there. Yeah. So just shave it off and just go with what nature's, you know. Leading you down a path to baldness, just embrace it. You bring up a good point, though, with the world domination, because the,
0: the best James Bond villains are bald. They're all bald, yeah. That's true. I mean, they they all portray – it's all the same character. They Pretty they found, much, yeah.
3: I guess my, my bigger thing isn't the power side of this. It's more the people finding you beautiful. Hmm. So, I mean, the neat thing about a guy that's trying to take a little hair and make it look like a lot – is he does have an avenue for his creative are you, senses. Are
4: you pro-comb-over? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, just not in the wind. More of a sideways mudflap situation? You like that? Is that what you're looking <laughs> you, for? You can't, you can't. What if the guy's like combing the last vestiges, wispy pieces of hair ac- across a bald head? It's where, that, then you know what I would do? What's I'd, that? I'd put on a hat. Just wear a hat everywhere?
3: Like a USA hat.
4: Oh, well, hey. That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. really need to. It's a personal choice. It is. And and it's a choice that you have to live with the rest of your life. And and if you're lucky enough to have a woman in your life, I would suggest asking her opinion. Mm-hmm. What should I do with this? Hon, is it is it? Not worth doing come over. Not, even, not even like a wife necessarily. If you have a, mother, a friend, a neighbor, friend, parole officer, the the cashier at the grocery store, yeah. someone just say, your, well, does this look good? And your, say, hair, your
0: hair care professional. Yeah. I just think we caught Terry there in a tender moment.
4: Yeah. If you're lucky enough to have a woman in your life. If you're lucky enough.
3: That was beautiful.
4: And I'm, really, I'm in this case. I'm not even you know considering in, the, in a romantic sense. Just a, just if, any if you bump into a female any time during the day, ask does my hair look good? They'll probably say no. If you need to shave it, they'll let you know. They're no, pretty they won't honest. though, because they may be like, "Sir, I don't even know you to make this decision."
0: So the elementary school kid <laughs> that is getting his lunch served to him, ah, huh? his meatloaf in an ice cream scoop. Hmm. Consider yourself lucky,
3: because you do have a woman in your life. <laughs>
4: So good, meatloaf and an ice cream scoop. Oh yeah, yeah. You haven't been to school for a long time, haven't? They just cut it up like a loaf of bread and hand it to you. No, that's why you put it in that convenience. Shape. I don't know what it's expensive school you were going to. You just scoop the meatloaf. Somebody,
3: somebody went to a private school. Wow, that sounds <laughs> totally crazy. Hey, let's do a quick uh, little update on some of the news headlines with our empty news segment with Jeff Simpson, the MT News Team. First on the scene, fifth on
0: facts. So we've got a few stories today, and they're all baby-related. I know.
3: What's going on?
0: So a lot of babies being born. I, I still think that my baby in a lobby story beats them all, but I might be a little
5: biased, just a little.
0: You are. Um, so what's the last thing you want to have happen when you go to a Chick-fil-A, other than them being
3: out of their chicken? Um, probably an armed robbery would be the, the last thing I'd need. Next to that, probably a baby birth. Okay. A live birth next, you know, in in line with me. So, or the drive through. First of all, don't ever go through the Chick fil A drive through to begin with. Why? Whether you're pregnant They're or not. They're very fast there. I love mm, how fast they are. Their line is. Wor- it's, it's, it's long a- because it's popular, but it's very. It moves. It
0: moves very well. How much are they paying you, Matt? <laughs> I wish. Darned. So, uh,. Chick-fil-A lovers are known to go to extremes. I mean, obviously, you're willing to wait in the line at the drive-thru. Yeah, right? totally. And some a lot of people wait in line for hours just to get their hands on their favorite fast food. Their favorite chick. But Filet. one guy in North Carolina loves the chicken chain so much, he and his wife stopped for a meal while she was in labor. Oh, boy. Wes and Lacey Cope were on their way to the hospital after Lacey's water broke to give birth to their fourth son when they decided to take a little detour. She was relaxed, and I was starving, Wes told the Charlotte Observer shortly after their son, Finn Sullivan Cope, was born. Having already experienced childbirth three other times, Lacey was calm, so she let her hungry husband take them through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru in Charlotte for his favorite chicken nuggets and hash browns. Hash browns? Really? Which Chick-fil-A is he going to? I don't know, but it sounds Sounds really good. good. Sounds worth trying. If you want Chick-fil-A to move fast, tell
3: them your wife's in labor. They did, Wes told the Observer. Hurry, my wife's in labor. I'm going to try that today, but my wife won't be in the car with me.
0: We shouldn't be giving out these little nuggets, if you will, of advice because now criminals are going to be in the drive-thru and they're like, I just committed a crime. Hurry, the cops are after me.
3: Yeah. Can you get that fresh-squeezed lemonade to mean stat? No, but they'll have to say, my wife's in labor. Right? I'm sure if they committed a crime. I don't know. It's not the same. Sad. Sad that we're, we're abusing this incredibly important rite of passage of a child coming into the world as a way to just get faster service in fast food restaurants. A little, uh... It's just sad. Sad stuff. You going to be okay? Yeah, it just (laughs) bugs me. I mean, this is the birth of a human being, not a coupon for a free Dairy Queen. Anyway, we'll continue the journey, folks. Straight ahead, how childhood trauma can affect mental and physical health into adulthood. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. For a million of children in the United States, poverty, neglect, or abuse is a reality of everyday life, though these struggles are often hidden from view. Stress, mental illness, and substance abuse, all health income, or all health outcomes linked to childhood trauma, and they occur in the United States today at a very high high rate. Adult survivors often feel ashamed about and stigmatized for their childhood adversity. Here to help us understand why and what we can do is uh, Shanta R. Dubey, an associate professor for the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at Georgia State University. Uh, Shanta, thank you so much for being with us today.
8: Hi, Matt. Thank
3: you for having me. What a what a, I think an interesting undertaking in trying to understand how childhood trauma does affect us in our mental health as we as we move into adulthood. Talk about um, the data. Where where how did you how did you start this? Because um, you we're talking about a lot of data out there, but then somebody had to kind of sort through it and get to the real um, the real meaning of it all.
8: Yeah, I'd like to start with how the Adverse Childhood Experiences study um, was launched. It was actually um, observations by Dr. Vincent Saletti at Kaiser Permanente in San Diego back in the 90s. Um, Basically, he had a weight management program, and he found that um, women in particular who were losing excessive amounts of weight successfully were dropping out of his program, and he could not make sense of it. So he brought each of the patients in for interviews to learn that actually the weight was a protective factor. Losing, you know, the weight was actually making them feel vulnerable. And so he followed that up with another study, presented it at a conference in Atlanta, and then Dr. Rob Anda, um, who is a medical epidemiologist at CDC, Uh, He and Dr. Folletti launched the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study in 1995. I came on as an early investigator in 1999. And so it's a study of about 17,000 adult Mm. health maintenance organization members um, who visited Kaiser Permanente actually for overall health assessment, not for illness-based care. And then about two weeks after their visit, they were sent a family health history questionnaire to their home, where they were able to um, answer questions about their early childhood uh, in the privacy of their own home.
3: Amazing seventeen thousand adult members in the sample. That's a that's a large sample.
8: Yeah, it is. It's one of the largest studies to be conducted uh, to look at um, these types of adverse experiences. In particular, we assessed um, you know three forms of abuse physical, emotional, sexual abuse, two forms of neglect, emotional and physical neglect, and then five forms of related household stressors. Um, For example, adults who reported growing up with parental substance abuse or witnessing domestic violence in the home. Um, Also, if there was parental discord or divorce and uh, criminal activity, that is, um, you know, the absence of a family or household member due to incarceration. Um, So, and then uh, exposure to mental illness in the home. So it was a total of 10 adverse experiences that were assessed. And actually that was groundbreaking in and of itself because most of the research during that time that focused on the long-term health effects of abuse focused on one form like physical abuse or sexual abuse. And what the a study was really um, unfolding is that you can 't really look at abuse and neglect separately that these experiences tend to co occur hmm. and as a result can lead to what we call cum- cumulative stress
3: wow early it's in the,
8: early in the lifespan
3: yeah and so so whether it 's abuse whether it 's neglect and um, or other adverse conditions it's they they have an impact, and and they, there's a correlation to, to other issues uh, into adulthood. Talk about some of your key findings. What what are you finding that these that these earlier childhood um, traumas uh, how, how do they impact us as adults?
8: So one of my areas of interest um, when I came on as an early investigator focused on substance use and mental illness as an outcome, and. So, and and especially in adolescence, because we know that um, early initiation of these risk behaviors um, can lead to their continued use into adulthood and also can lead to a lot of other negative outcomes in adolescence, and it's a very critical period of development, as we all know. Um, So, most of my key findings and research focused on the relationship of childhood adversity to alcohol use initiation, or early alcohol um, initiation in adolescence, as well as alcohol um, abuse and problems in adulthood. And um, so we, look, we looked at each individual adversity in relationship to, to these outcomes and found that um, there was an increased likelihood of reporting early initiation of, for example, alcohol use by 14 years. Um, So, why is that important? Well, one reason is because in terms of alcohol dependence, we know that um, it takes a long time to develop, but the earlier initiation occurs, the more likely dependence is to occur later in life. So, if ACEs are contributing to this particular adolescent um, outcome, we really need to pay attention. Some of the other key findings. that I focused on also related to the ages of the individuals in this study. So we had persons um, ranging from their birth dates of 1900 to the turn of the century to 1978. So I was, and we had a large cohort, 17,000. So I was very interested to see if um, childhood adversities might have a similar impact on outcomes, in particular health behaviors in in, by birth, what we call birth cohort, when individuals were born. And so indeed, um, and and this is especially important because in the U.S., there was a lot being done around uh, changing behaviors, especially the social and secular influences, public health interventions, medical um, interventions. So it was really important to understand, you know, do, do adverse childhood experiences have a similar impact across, when individuals were born and we did we found the exact we found the exact same relative increased likelihood
2: hmm.
8: of um for example alcohol use alcoholism uh, illicit drug use risky sexual behavior so basically the bottom line is it really didn't matter when individuals were born aces had a similar impact um, over different generations
3: interesting and it, it so so um, you could you could substantiate you know by age and um, uh, in the cohort and and what in the end it, we saw more of an increase it sounds like in alcohol use um, what were some other correlations that we saw to how you know how it affected the adult life of these people
8: that's a great question um, we also so in addition to alcoholism and other substances like smoking and illicit drug use, um, we found that ACEs were associated with increased likelihood of sexually transmitted infections, um, unintended pregnancies, depression, cardiovascular disease. I uh, did a study where we looked at autoimmune diseases and found a, a correlation there, hmm. suicidality, liver disease, and um Because the ACE study actually had a prospective cohort design, um, we also examined some of the healthcare utilization, and Dr. Rob Anda published a study that um, showed that ACEs were associated with, for example, psychotropic um, pharmaceutical prescriptions, which um, is, is an interesting finding in that we saw in the earlier studies that ACEs were associated with depression, but then to have that type of data validated through um, administrative data was was also quite groundbreaking and further validated what we were seeing.
3: Is it—did we—I um, I guess, how much of this can we correlate to, to the adverse childhood experiences versus the genetics that are in the family that might actually cause adverse childhood experiences and— um, and also then be manifested in the like i mean i i look, I look at an adult who might abuse their child might also have uh, mental health issues anyway and then that gets perpetrated on the child but then the child later as an adult also needs psychotropic drugs as
8: well right so we refer to this as the intergenerational transmission part of the i get i get, I get questions all the time why did you look at these particular ten um you know, exposures, why not bereavement Mm. um, or political or um, if individuals came from, you know, a violent violent context in the community. The reason we focused on these is because they occurred in the um, home of the individual growing up, so the Mm. most proximal environment in which individuals grow up in. And we also focused on these because from a public health perspective, they're preventable. They're, they're preventable either yeah. at a primary level, which prevents them from ever occurring, a secondary level which identifies them early, where they can be where an intervention can be applied, or tertiary that's not really something public health professionals <laughs> look strongly upon, but tertiary prevention is essentially treating after um, one is exposed but actually because we don't have vaccinations or antibiotics for these types of exposures, we have to really think about secondary treating and intervening. So to your question, is it genetics? It's all this nurture um, nature. So in one of the studies I conducted I, when I was looking at um, the relationship between ad- childhood adversity and alcoholism and alcohol problems in adulthood, um, I actually controlled for parental alcoholism in the home as a means to, you know, account for potential, quote, genetics related to alcoholism. And um, despite controlling for that, ACEs, all the other ACEs were, all the other traumatic experiences were significantly associated with adults reporting that they had alcohol problems in Mm -hmm. adulthood. So I'm not saying there's not a genetic component. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that it's definitely something we have to look at more closely. The epigenetics of um, trauma and adversity is starting to really unfold um, in, the, in the research arena. And so I think we just need to pay closer attention and have more rigorous studies. Um, Absolutely. And you're out there. But um, I think what I guess what I'm getting at is we're all... We all have a propensity for risk. I have, I'll just say it, I have um, risk factors for some chronic diseases. But if I do what I need to do behaviorally and with my lifestyle, I can actually um, prevent those. Yeah.
3: What do you? Um, where do you see this this going forward? I mean, it seems like incredibly valuable research to know things like alcohol use, uh, in, increased smoking, illicit drug use, un, un, uh, you know, unintended pregnancies, suicidality. These are these are very uh, much in the news regularly in our country, and um, it seems like boy, there's a lot we could actually do to get better at. I guess addressing childhood trauma, managing childhood trauma, talking more about how we treat our children um, where do you where do you create or where do you think the solution should be in impacting this
8: um, that's another great question, Matt um, at this point, we definitely want to prevent children 's exposure to trauma and these types of adversities that we looked at in the ACE study um now that's not always possible right? and that's why a lot of my research right now is focusing on the adult survivors and what can we do to um, move towards healing recovery in the adults because ultimately it's the adults whether it's parents, teachers, physicians, healthcare providers, um, it's the adults that interact with the kids, right? right. So um, we need to pay closer attention to that population so that we can actually build resilience in the adults, so that they can then translate that and help kids build resilience and uh, it's, it's like the whole thing with the oxygen mask right um steward always said please put your oxygen mask on before you help the person next to you well we have to have our internal resources as adults working with kids um so that we can be prepared for um, different situations. The other thing is there's this whole movement right now as a result of the ACE study um, around trauma-informed practices and I think we need to pay closer attention to that because these types of um, practices really need to be built into organizations. So what does that mean? Educating about um, you know, and being able to recognize and realize how widespread ACEs are. Many of the findings that, we, um, that we, we reported from the ACE study in adolescence, those outcomes are symptoms. So when we see kids misbehaving in school, perhaps we need to understand what might be the underlying mm. reasons for that. Um, and then also as adults who work with kids, I just emphasize this, you know, find ways to respond without re-traumatizing the children. And this goes for any, one of the things about the ACE study is it was, it's just difficult, those 10 exposures, but I would like to just emphasize those are not the only traumatic experiences kids or adults can go through. I mean, we've seen what's been happening recently with um, hurricanes and and the devastation. Um, those are also considered to be forms of um, natural disasters or forms of trauma, and so we, what the A study opened our eyes to is there's a lot more we need to really look at as well, and 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 understand. That's why it's so widespread.
2: Basically.
3: Yeah. Again we're speaking with Shanta R Dubey who is uh the professor of division in for the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at Georgia State University. Um Dr. Dubey talk to us just uh, is as I look at it um I mean really what what we're now I guess validating through the ACE study is the fact that adverse childhood experiences of really Almost any sort, the 10 you studied, but also it could even be, you know, the loss of a parent or um, others, you know, suffering traumatic I- events like a hurricane or other disasters. Um, in the end, we now see that how they impact and they impact it to and have a direct impact on the physiology and the health, mental health, psychological health of a child, I guess, do we by by bringing it up and making sure we understand it then we don't stigmatize these people and it might it seems like this oh, this type of study opens up a whole new area in mental health that we that should really be not i mean celebrated in a way as you know we we live in this system and the system begins as a child into adulthood um i guess what would you what would you recommend for us as parents and um and going forward as a parent, I, I want to make sure my children aren't suffering through these things. If Do you have any insight if I intervene earlier, if that helps, and what impact earlier intervention has?
8: That's a, that's a great question, too. Now, keeping in mind, I'm not a, a clinician. Um, I'm an educator. But what we have learned from the ACE study is that um, just recognizing signs and symptoms that, you know, when a child is exhibiting, you know, some behaviors that don't seem in the normal or seem extreme. You know, instead of, like you said, labeling or judging, um, we need to, as parents, let's talk about parents, we need to, as parents, you know, have a demeanor that is trusting, safe, and supportive so that we can try to understand what it is that's... um, that the behavior is is a result of. Because, you know, the other thing I didn't talk about is trauma is subjective. and that what's traumatic or stressful for you may not be for me, Mm. but what's stressful or traumatic for me may not be for you. But the bottom line is, it's our sensory, it's our five senses that take it in, and we do have the same stress response. So even though your stressful experience isn't the same as mine, I still need to understand that it's stressful for you, and you are having a response to it. You
2: Absolutely. Do.
8: And I think we forget that. We we forget, and we do get into judgment mode, and we do, you know, forget. We just forget, Matt. We yeah. Just
3: forget. And and um. So, well, I was just going to say, and that's, I guess, the key is to remain empathic to the battle these kids are going through, as well as uh, intervening and and not just i mean doing everything we can to protect them more but also understand if we don't protect them more we're going to pay prices down down the road as well and so, and then be more compassionate, more empathic as we go down the road. Dr. Shanta, uh, Shanta R. Dubey, thank you so much for your insight and keep up your great work there at Georgia State University. How childhood trauma can affect mental and physical health into adulthood. A wonderful article on theconversation.com. We'll continue the journey, folks, trying to help you be the good in the world. Up next, we'll do a little mind bender for you with McKenna Bows.
0: Welcome to her house She is McKenna Bows. She is here to break down Things you didn't know now
3: Her name is McKenna Bows. She's one of our great producers here on the show And uh, she likes to come in and do a little mind bender with us Twisting our brains into a new formation McKenna, welcome Today you're twisting our brains when it comes to facial recognition.
9: I am indeed. What
3: One of the greatest inventions of all time. Now you never even need to touch your phone, you just need to stare at it.
9: I mean, it seems pretty convenient, right? It seems like
3: a no-brainer.
9: Yeah, it seems really, really easy, streamlined. Yeah. But it actually leaves you in a relatively vulnerable position, legally speaking. Oh,
3: legally. I was thinking, because if my phone rejects my face, then what have I got left?
9: Yeah, no, this is um particularly in regards to your Fifth Amendment rights.
3: Oh boy, okay.
9: Yeah. So when um you know the Fifth Amendment, we'll recap for right, yeah. you know our listeners, it prevents uh it, it protects you from ever having to self incriminate. Yeah. You're never you know yep. going to be forced to testify in a way that makes you seem guilty if you don't want to. Right. And so when it comes to phones, You know, there's been a lot of discussion over, you know, know, a while back, the iPhone, the FBI wanted info on how to open it up. And I'm not going to let you have my password. You can't give your password and they can't be – they can't force you to give the password. Giving your password to unlock your phone is what's called a testimonial act. Hmm. And being forced to do that would violate your Fifth Amendment rights. But biometrics, the kind of thing that is what facial recognition is based on – are not protected by that because it's just a trait. It's not an act of using your mind.
2: Oh, wow.
9: And so they can, you know, the police can take your phone, hold it up to your face, unlock it, get in without your permission. (laughs) Oh, no. And there is. Boom, they've got all the info they have got all the info.
3: That's scary.
9: It's a little scary, yeah.
3: And so, I mean, I guess you can't even alter your face enough when they're trying to hold it up to your face
9: yeah no, and so there is luckily a feature that involves if you push the like home button five times quickly, it'll turn facial recognition off, and so if you have enough time,
2: yeah you're conscious get it and you're
9: conscious, but that's assuming you're the one who hands the phone over to the police that it's not seized yeah you I mean, you really it's this very narrow window that still leaves things rather shaky.
3: Interesting. So this seeming huge advantage, so big that uh, Apple can now sell an iPhone based on it. Hey, now your your phone has facial recognition. Actually, could end up having some of your rights disappear.
9: Exactly. And so, you know, the law. This is how it's currently being ruled. It's along the same lines of, you know, you can have your blood drawn, you know, with a warrant a- yeah. against your will um, to figure out, you know. Were you intoxicated when you were driving this car? Things like that. Um, you know, your blood, it's a trait. It's right. not a it's conscious It's not a act. conscious thought. And so that's where this loophole sort of comes in. Wow. And there is, you know, some discussion now going, saying, hey, maybe we should readjust how we have written this law so that way biometric locks whether it's an iris, you know, retina scan, you know, facial recognition are protected under the Fifth Amendment.
3: Interesting stuff. And I guess, too, um, yeah, either that or if you're going to commit crimes, just don't have advanced technology.
9: Yeah, that too. Just use a flip phone. Exactly.
3: Maybe that's why they're always using flip phones in the movies.
9: Maybe there's benefits to being a Luddite.
3: Yeah, not not a bad idea. <laughs> when in doubt, let eyed it out. Um so uh interesting. Any other things we need to pay attention to when it comes to this issue?
9: Well, you know, there is some concerns that are lingering about whether or not the security of this technology is going to be able to withstand the test of time yeah. outside of legal issues. Right. Um just because it's so new. Maybe we're going to find ways to hack it. And so just keep your eye out. Yeah, and- like, yeah.
3: Can I print a picture of you and that works as good as a photo? I mean as, as good as just my face?
9: My guess is right now it doesn't but – you know, down the line, who knows? It seems
3: like this is something that might be better in a high-tech environment where you need a third or fourth layer of security.
9: You know, that seems better to me as extra precautions as your yeah. sole source of protection.
3: Plus, my kids' phones are always so greasy and gross that you wonder how they could see through anything.
9: Yeah, to, to it's a your, good question. To get a good
3: biofeedback bio shot. Well, we appreciate you, McKenna. Bows in the house, bending our mind again. Even something as, as good as a new iPhone. Maybe it's not the key. We'll continue the journey up next. We will do a little uh, empty news for you right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks. It's that time again to go to the empty news headlines with Jeffrey Simpson. Another, uh, Another beautiful story about bringing a child into this world. You know, there are many ways many
0: different ways that people come into this world. Yes. I mean, ultimately, it's all the same way. The stork sometimes delivers them differently. The circumstances are different. Right. So, uh, there's a woman who gave birth out on the street, which is not ideal. Not. Nah, if no. we can admit to ourselves. Yeah. So, she was out shopping in Southeast uh, China on? Yeah. China on. Ch- okay. China on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> So, oh, there we go. There's... just
3: needs to be a space.
0: So, uh, her water suddenly broke
3: Mm. while she was out shopping. Oh, that's surprising. The video
0: has gone viral on Chinese social media. And uh, so, afterward... So, she... Unfortunately, she was wearing a dress, by the way. She gave birth right out on the street. And afterwards, onlookers sprang into action to help the woman providing her with a few chairs and a sheet of cardboard... Eventually, a medical worker also arrived to look over the Aww. newborn. Apparently, there were, uh, there were not any birth de- uh, complications. The Good. woman is next seen walking down the sidewalk with a bag of groceries in one hand and a baby in
3: the other. No way. Honey,
0: look what they had at the store. Uh, that's crazy. Did you know you can get babies on aisle five?
3: And then on her way home, she could pick up some diapers and wipes. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. So. See, women are tough. That's amazing.
0: Also, a couple in suburban Atlanta will likely never forget uh, this day, the day that they became parents of twins, wife Heather Yavaliola. Who? Yeah. Went into labor instead of their home, uh, but couldn't get out because a storm, or went inside their home, I should say, but instead couldn't get out because of a storm resulting from Hurricane Irma had knocked down a tree blocking the door. That's when husband Mervaz Yaviola sprang into action. He ran to a shed and grabbed a chainsaw that was cutting away at the tree. And there's some audio from this, actually. My wonderful neighbors saw me outside. They kind of knew the situation, so they started grabbing limbs as I was cutting them off and helped move. I'm not sure if that's limbs of the tree or limbs yeah, of the baby. I, I think it was of the tree. Okay. Yeah, I hope so. so. very thankful to them. And uh, with the path cleared, the yava. I'm going to get this right. Yavaliolas. Mm-hmm. Tried to head toward a hospital, but their truck wouldn't start. Aww, Ugh, blasted! Eventually, Heather made, it to, Heather made it to Piedmont Hospital and delivered
3: two healthy baby boys, Stuart and Solomon. Ah, beautiful baby stories. Brought to you by Jeffrey Liam Simpson. And again, we'll post the video of the woman that gave birth in China. By the way, they're all standing around. It was on a street in China. And uh, there was a masked medical worker that... They're still delivering the baby on the street, but this one was gloved and masked and had a full surgical set on board. Anyway, thank heavens for the birth, uh, miracle of birth, and the fact that these children are surviving this crazy, crazy entrance into the world. Again, do you feel as fortunate as maybe these mothers do getting these kids here to this uh, crazy battle? Well, we're all blessed. Thank you. We'll continue the journey up next on The Matt Townsend Show.
1: The
8: Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
8: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
8: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you as you're back at it. Hope uh, you're doing well. Hope you've become, I hope you're adjusted to the fact that you uh, have an entire week ahead of you. And not to fret because we will be going on the week with you. We'll be with you the entire time. We'll only be on the air for 3 hours a day though. Oh good. I was like, "Wow, really?" Yeah, did you guys not get the, the whole memo? time? When I said that, you're you're like, "Oh, man, I got to get home. I got stuff to do today. I got I got people to see. So much to cover uh, as we get into it today, we'll be revisiting an an interview with um about how you can Im- you can magically Kind of plant ideas into people's brains. Have you ever been uh have you ever been what's it called? Manipulated? Uh, yeah. Manipulated times. Brainwashed? Yeah. No. When you go to the fair, you gotta go to the fair and be hypnotized. I saw a woman there hypnoti- hypnotized once and it, it really made me realize I never will be hypnotized. <laughs> because hmm. I'm never gonna put myself in that situation. Wow. If I got called up by somebody that wanted to hypnotize me, I'd be running out the
0: back door. Don't
4: you stare at your phone for like hours a day? Yeah, that's mesmerized.
3: Oh, okay.
0: Different. So, is this like whispering in someone's ear while they're sleeping? Mm. Um, I don't think it is. Or is it more like Inception? You know the movie Inception? No way. Are you bringing up a movie?
2: Hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, talk about it. So, in the movie Inception... They're able to – so it's a company that is used to taking things from people's
3: memories. Uh-huh. But in this movie – It puts stuff in. It puts something in. This, it's kind of more like that. And we can do it all the time. Like in research on people and their buying habits, there are certain ways that they can get you every time or 80% of the time to pick item B. And all I have to do is just pre, you know present item A a certain way, item B a certain way, and item C a certain way, and you the majority of time will pick B every time. So it's all amazing. we
0: need is an IV and that French song.
3: No, 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 no. You no, no. This is this this is just like going on you know going down to a a, a nice store when you're buying a car. Do you want this car with brakes? Do you want this car without brakes? Ah, You're like, well, I need the brakes. Well, only if you love what's your family. The, what's the price difference? Yeah, $400. Well, I'll take this. Uh... Oh, it's so close. Do I want to stop on a dime or stop in a block? It's just the trickery of magically implanted thoughts. We'll be speaking with a... Uh, a researcher, and experimental psychologist at McGill University. Uh, fun, interv- fun interview. I remember um, so much after I realized I really can get my people to do anything I want. <laughs> That's what I felt like. Wow. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to all of that fun. Plus, of course, uh, the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation will be here. Uh, we'll be checking with them, finding out about their show. And we'll have to do a little check-in about BYU cougar football or what's left of it by the way great interesting feedback from wisconsin badger fans that came yeah. to byu's uh, stadium they they many of them talked about how byu's fans are the nicest most genteel did caring they, did
4: they say the city was clean too they said the city was nice, clean that's the other thing people but what,
3: what they said was that the byu fans were so cordial and nice and asked them about where they're from
0: well, part of it was probably they were silent for most of the game. Yes, yeah. they had to have they light so, conversation.
4: It was kind of boring. They were so quiet.
3: It's irreverent. It, it, I wouldn't. It's more reverent. There's just a reverent feeling. Reverence. Okay, we'll talk about it and we'll ask our good friends at BYU Sports Nation if <laughs> is this a compliment? It's, I mean, we, point, we should
4: be the nicest people. If at some point fans were like, "Well, we made the trip, so let's make some light conversation." Yeah. how were you today? Good but, to meet you. Wisconsin had a good game. Are you enjoying your trip? It's wonderful.
2: <laughs> hmm.
3: They loved the cougar tail, the The great uh, – I've never had one. I, what, what are they? I have no idea. It's like a two-foot-long
4: maple bar. Oh, there you go. And
3: they announced it on the show on ESPN. Hmm. But the guy said it had bratwurst in
0: it or they e- something were like they that. Were they
4: equally as bored looking for content <clears> throat> to throat> mm-hmm. talk about? Okay. Yeah.
0: Is nobody going to listen to me at BYU concessions? When are they going to sprinkle the bacon on it? You've yeah. have a bacon cougar tail. Yeah, but yeah. Wow. Or you could call it like a freckled cougar tail and put <sighs> some bacon on there. Oh, but
3: what if you're a kid with freckles? Yeah, you just triggered Well, thanks. with freckles. There,
0: we're not offending any kids with freckled tails out there. A
3: little insensitive.
4: Yeah, well, yeah. What How if, many freckled tailed kids do you know? Well, it's not really the freckled tail. It's the freckles. People don't want you drawing attention because people go, hey, look, my pastry is like your face.
2: See? Yeah.
4: You have a problem. See there. that? See that? What? this is absurd.
3: No, this is 2017. <laughs> this is how it is now. Yeah. If you're a kid and you're like, hey, you remind me of that speckled cougar tail," Next, you're going to tell me that it's going to be offensive to cougars. It's actually offensive to older women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> older single women. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun stuff straight ahead. Um, But before we do, let's get to
4: the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on Sunday said the United States is considering shutting down its embassy in Cuba amid a string of unusual health related incidents involving American diplomats there speaking on CBS's face. The nation Tillerson says closing. The embassy is under review. Nearly two dozen Americans have been affected by the undisclosed health issue, which were previously referred to as attacks against the diplomats. You remember they were characterized as a sonic attack. Those were weird. They heard a, they heard or even didn't hear a high frequency. It's affected their hearing. Some people have had uh, levels of brain damage that are still being assessed. And there's like 20 members of the diplomatic corps between the it's U.S. Crazy. and Canada that are back in the U.S. and are recovering or suffering from the effects of this sound weapon that may or may not have been used in Cuba. So we still don't know what it is. No. So no. so we don't even know if it was a weapon or
3: was it just some bad Cuban music
4: that was playing. Who knows? Out? Who this knows? Is scary. Uh, So, yeah, they're looking at maybe shutting down the embassy there because of this. Uh, Nikki Haley, the U.S. ambassador to, to the United Nations, said on Sunday that the international body has exhausted all of its options when it comes to the threats posed by North Korea and suggested that the situation could eventually be handled by the Pentagon we have we have pretty much exhausted all things that we can do at the Security Council at this point Haley said on CNN we're trying every other possibility that we have but there's a whole lot of military options on the table Trump on President Trump on Sunday mocked Kim Jong-un calling him rocket man last week the regime test fired another ballistic missile yeah President Trump is going to address the UN the full body of the United Nations tomorrow he's in meetings today making comments throughout the day so Uh, President President Trump or rocket man uh, Trump, Kim okay. Jong Un is not in country. He's not coming. in Neither country. is uh, Vlad Putin. He's not making the trip. I think we ought to invite Kim Jong Un over. Angela Merkel is not going to be in in town either. So, mm. Trump's pretty much the big man and big show for the weekend in New York. Plus, he probably gets to stay at the the palace. Trump the, Palace, the Trump Tower. Trump. Yeah, I like to call yeah. it palace. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, why not? Might You're not in be town. Convenient. Maybe go check. Go get catch a play. <laughs> a show or two? Yeah. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has reportedly recommended downsizing or changing seven geographic national monuments he uh, reviewed at uh, President Trump's request in a move likely to anger environmental groups. The recommendation... Featured in a report sent to the White House seen by the Wall Street Journal calls for reducing the boundaries for the Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Staircase Escalante Preserve in Utah. Zinke also recommends allowing commercial fishing and hundreds of thousands of square miles of ocean water that are currently being protected against such activities. According to the report, there's also logging and some other mining and other those types of considerations yeah. involved in it. So we'll see what happens there. As he uh, He came into office. His first day in office, he told the media, he goes, the Interior Department is in the energy business. Oh. Instead of preserving and protecting national monuments, which is what that office has been historically, right, right. now they're going to be in the energy business. Which is interesting because we actually have an energy department
3: with the secretary of energy.
4: But he wasn't quite sure what hit purview his job was. So I think interior's picking up slack. I think he was in the nuclear energy department. Well, no, he didn't know that was part of it. Oh, okay. He thought he just uh, he thought the energy department was oil. Yeah. But he didn't realize it's all of our weapons.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Our nuclear weapons and so the interior department's trying to pick up it some is slack. So it's kind of confusing.
2: Yeah.
4: It's so confusing. Finally, the price of the new iPhone 10. Yeah. You'll see it advertised as X, but it's actually 10. Uh-huh which is so confusing. They probably should or, just call yeah. it 10. <laughs> yeah. oh, well. It's so high in Europe that it's led thousands to eye up transatlantic flights to see if it's cheaper to fly across the pond to buy the phone. Oh. Hmm. And How it's even it? with the cost of the flight involved, but there's a catch. You'll become an international electronics smuggler if you do it. Oh, you can't even go get your own? No, because the phones in the UK are different than the phones here. Oh, nice try! Right, so they have laws. The, U- the The European Union has a lot of complaints against it. One of it is they just have a bunch of weird laws. This is like and one Brexit. of them is yeah. about like yeah, Brexit was one of those reasons that people use were saying get this. us out of so here. So the UK has if you get a two hundred and fifty six gig iPhone ten, it costs. Uh, what one thousand five hundred sixty-seven dollars, man! Across uh, in uh, this is for a phone, right? Yeah, that's across. Uh, that's in the UK. Across the Eurozone, it's even more for one thousand six hundred twelve dollars. Sheesh. right? In the US, meanwhile, it costs just one thousand one hundred forty-nine dollars. See, now that's reasonable. <laughs> so, Sorry. in the United States versus, say, the United Kingdom it's, or the of the European Union, it's a savings of three hundred eighty dollars. Man. Mm. So, with Iceland's Wow Air offering return flights from London to Newark, New Jersey, for $377. Okay. So, your savings on buying a phone in the U.S. versus buying it in Europe is $380. The flight is $377. So, theoretically, Mm. by the end of the deal, you've made $3. Well, plus you could
3: could have a trip, too, right? So. You get a phone and a trip. Yeah. If that trip is like you come here, buy a phone and leave. I, I think the thing we're, we're overlooking here is that Iceland has its own airline yeah, named it's called, Wow. It's called Wow
4: Airlines. Yeah. Now, sales or tax. Or mom if the plane's upside down. There you go. Ooh. Yeah. But it's a passenger airliner, so if it's upside down... Then you'll need your mom. You'll need your mom. So with sales tax and other figures, that that money may shift a little bit. But doing all that, flying across the Atlantic, is cheaper than buying a phone in Europe. What a crock. On many levels. Do we need need a
3: $1,500 phone? No. That's the real question. Especially we learned last hour that the facial recognition may just get you in the pokey. Yeah, it might just compromise your ability to secure your phone. You used to be able to say, I'm not unlocking that. And they'd have to send it to the NSA. And I saw
4: numerous reports. The They have an iPhone 8, and it has many of the same features as the sure. 10. Sure. Minus the price and the facial recognition, which, as you said, is problematic. So just get the 8. I thought competition was going to bring down all of these prices. No, 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 no. Not if you want to just, they just seem to keep, going keep up. pushing prices higher and higher. So with the
0: facial recognition, you're going to take a picture of yourself where you look presentable and nice, it's right, not, after you've yeah, gotten ready not for a the picture. day.
4: It's not? They have 30,000 laser little beams that shoot your face and remember the pattern. I was going to say, like, when you wake up first thing in
0: the morning, the phone's going to be like, ah! I know. Like when who is yeah, that? When maybe they, your
3: spouse paints on her eyebrows.
4: They say it'll recognize you as you age. It'll recognize you with sunglasses, if you're wearing a hat. If you change your hairstyle. What if I'm wearing makeup for TV? Who knows?
0: Now wait a minute. Let's go back to the part about laser beams being shot in 30, your face. Thirty
4: thousand. They're infrared. <laughs> What's that
3: smell? It's just my face cooking. It's not that kind of laser. The laser
4: beans are cooking my face right it's now. It's kind of, probably the kind of laser you have at the grocery store to scan your food. Yeah. That, so it's not going to hurt you. No, I'm pretty sure it burnt my hand the other day. That was the doctor. Oh, that's you right. Your melanomas out. I can never remember.
3: <laughs> was that the doctor or was that the scanner at the grocery store? Hey, you want to talk about technology advancing? Scientists have just invented a pen that can detect cancer. We've talked about it, I think, on the show. A pen. We? It's a pen. It, they, it shouldn't be called a pen because it only is a pen because it looks like a pen. Like an ink pen. But it does no writing. Oh. But now what they can do is while the while the surgeon is working on you, they're testing this pen that makes it so that they can actually hold the pen onto tissue in this, in your body mm. – and see if there's cancer there. That way they can – because they always want to get all the cancer out as they're cutting the specimen or whatever the, the cancer body out. Now they can actually go back and check within 10 seconds and know if there's still cancerous tissue. Oh, wow. It's a pretty huge advancement. In fact, uh, I have – we'll have a drawing. We could even post that on our – at Dr. Matt show. Mm. It kind of looks like a pen. It does. It's got a huge cord. Now, the downside is you need, you need to have the patient open. Right. Well, I mean,
4: if you're going to go through the trouble of opening up the patient to get the cancer out, you may as well make sure you get it all. Right? You want to get it all right. while you're there. Because so, you button them back up and then you're like, oh. Uh, we totally missed a section. Or you go, I lost that scalpel. Where'd it go? Oh.
3: Yeah. So they're doing human trials that has more than 96% accuracy rate in the 253 cancer uh, patients they've tried it on. Wow. So are good odds? Those are great odds. Especially – so if you have to go in and have – a procedure done you don't want to keep going in there i mean this is coming from somebody that just had surgery recently
2: hmm.
3: non-cancer of course I haven't heard a thing about that yeah well Crazy. i'll tell you about it my my gallbladder mm-hmm. pretty much exploded mm. without exploding right backed
4: up my pancreas wow which that's exactly what it sounded like you needed a rooter guy yeah got to show up and just make sure that took got uh, taken care of you got to be careful because you're, you don't. If you overroot, you know, you're done. Right. So. So only a professional. Yeah, I can't believe you forgot that I had had my gallbladder out. I think it's more that I just sort of blocked it from my memory. You wanted to let it go, didn't you? Yeah, it was good. You survived. Mm, yeah, but it was traumatic.
2: Eh.
0: It's a gallbladder. Was it? Mm-hmm. He was gone for like three months. Yeah,
3: like a week. Felt like it though. Hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't count the coma time. Yeah. The coma ova.
4: We talked about coma overs last hour, right? Yes. These Mondays are hard to keep up. With all the all the topics? Well, we have like three days. You, you get all, all of Friday, all of Saturday, all of Sunday. All this stuff just comes flowing in and you got to get it out there. Do you know what I'm glad? I'm glad that I don't have to actually read all of the
3: articles on Trump anymore. I I just have you do that. <laughs> and then Lying. i just say terry tell me about that trump thing oh you know what i mean i used to sure. read all of them
2: yeah
4: now i'm just reading more about the pen that can detect cancer see and i don't read them all i read selectively because one thing you find out is yeah. that all the different places that have news they tend to repeat the story that everyone else has yeah that's the fake news. it's part. not the same story it's they all cover the same story and so you can just Pick one source and kind of, okay, this is the gist. Got it. Moving on. Don't need to read that story 15 times. Which is why, really, that all you really need to do
3: is listen to the show. Because you've read that one story. Right. That's then been reported
4: 18 times. And it's all the same information. It's all the same information. Right. Yeah. You it, just need to dial back. I think the, the one of the problems is people just over consume. Absolutely. It's like, just back up a little bit. Read about cancer pens. We talking yeah. about food?
0: What? I thought we were talking about food there for a second. No. See, he just gets lost he in the conversation. He just jumps
3: in when it's like he thinks we're talking about food. Yeah. Well, you said overconsume, and that's definitely a problem. By the way, a great point you were bringing up, Facebook's got a new little oh.
4: button that allows us, so we don't have to overconsume. Right. I found this. I it's thought, just a see, button. Because my, 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 when I see something on Facebook that I don't care about, or don't care to see again. Like, give me an example of that.
2: Uh, that seems so I don't know. Far one, of my,
4: one of my cousins posting prom pictures of one of her kids. I'm like, eh, not oh. interested. So I hit. You can you can hit unfollow, but stay friends. <gasps> There's a button you can do that's it been there for years. Yeah, I've been doing it constantly, and so my entire family. I have unfollowed, but we're, we're still friends, and I have them in a list, so if but, I want to see family, ooh, I can click that. You probably shouldn't be announcing this They know the this. Air. I've told them all because they're constantly like, did you see this picture of me? I, well, no, I did not see your picture. Were I you in a canoe? Did not watch your picture. So, it says, sick of friends, nonstop uh, vacation photos, bored of hearing about some business page's big launch. Yeah. One of your uh, groups won't shut up about their upcoming get-together. I had a high school reunion thing. It just went on for months.
2: Man. Man.
4: The lot- be angry. <laughs> now Facebook has a snooze button that lets you temporarily unfollow friends, pages, groups, for 24 hours, 7 days, or 30 days, depending on, you know, how much you don't want to hear from them.
0: So you're putting them on probation.
4: The snooze button basically. could, could deter, deter people from permanently unfollowing, unlike unliking or unfriending things on Facebook while still giving them control over what they see. Facebook benefits from you maintaining a dense social network. Uh, for their ad targeting. So that's why it's a bonus for them. Is yeah. they, they keep the whole social network thing going, but it's less annoying for you. Because I just did that. I just, um, but mine was on Instagram. Do they have the same thing on Instagram? Uh, no. I bet it will be coming, right? Because they're the same company. Now they're testing this feature. I'm not sure if it's actually out there yet because the way they roll things out, it's a little yeah. odd sometimes. But they were testing it a few weeks ago. People saw it. They had some good responses because you know, people thought, well, great. You just you know, snooze Uncle Larry. <laughs> don't have to hear about his, you know, pet crocodile or whatever. Sometimes Uncle Larry has a crocodile. Oh, yeah, totally. To snooze someone, tap down on uh, the down arrow, at the top right of someone's post. Now, instead of just an unfollow, there's a unfollow or snooze tab. And it's just for, you can pick the length
3: of time you want to snooze. Yeah. What so, if I want indefinite snoozing, but I don't want to
4: unfriend them? Then you can unfollow. Oh, boy. That's already available to Yeah,
3: you. okay. That's good.
4: Which okay. I use it constantly.
3: Thanks, Facebook. Making ignoring each other even easier.
2: Mm. Makes, really it makes good, it warm isn't?
4: and fuzzy. Absolutely,
3: good news. Somebody wake Jeff up. We got to get to uh, to our our next guest, uh, folks. In just a bit, we're going to be revisiting an interview we did with Jay Olson about how uh, we can magically implant thoughts into each other's brains. It's uh, is it experimental psychology gone amuck? We'll find out. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. How gullible is our brain? Well, if you've gone to a magic show, you may feel as if your brain has been through the ringer. A few months ago, I talked with Jay Olson, who studies experimental psychology at McGill University. He uses magic tricks to see what choices people will make when faced with difficult decisions. I began the interview by asking uh, about his study and what he had discovered about our brains.
6: Well, the most recent study that we did was trying to look at how much we can impact somebody's experience using things like. Perception and suggestion. So, what happened in, in the study is we told participants that we have a new kind of um, brain scanner that can both read your thoughts, so like know what you're thinking,
2: mm-hmm. and also
6: in, influence your thoughts. Uh, and then um, the procedure was we would bring the participants into this machine and then we would have them choose a number from one to a hundred. They would just choose a random number. And then we told them that the brain scanner would, would, would infer which number they're thinking of by looking at their brain activation patterns. Um, so we would slide <laughs> the, the participants out of the machine. And then a computer would print out a number from 1 to 100. And then I, w- I would ask the participant, what number did you choose? So, so, for example, just choose a number randomly from 1 to 100 right now. Yeah, 5. 5? Okay. So I would flip over that, that page, and it would say 5. So from the participant's point of view, they just thought of a number. They didn't even say it. They just thought of a number, and then somehow the machine printed out this. Hmm. And, and, and so we did this a few times with the participants, and then they really started believing that this machine could read their mind. Now, actually, this was all done through a magic trick. So the, the participants didn't know that I was a magician, and using a fairly simple magic trick, uh, I, I was just making the, the printer print out whichever number they chose. Okay. okay. So that was uh, that was the first part of the study. The second part of the study we told them now this this machine is going to influence your choice. And then the printer started off by printing out a number from 1 to 100. Uh, I I didn't show the participants what the number was, but I told them you're going to go into that machine and and using natural electromagnetic fluctuations it's going to influence your decision. And <laughs> um, so it'll make you choose that particular number. Okay. So so the participant went back into the machine and then came back out, and I said, what number did you choose? So, for example, just name another number. Uh, 28. 28. So I would flip over the page, and it would say 28. So from their point of view, the machine printed out a number and then influenced them to choose it.
2: But it
3: was the same trick you used in the first one.
6: Yeah, yeah, exactly the same trick. But nobody yeah. suspected that it was magic because we disguised all of this as science.
3: Yeah, right. They walked. In, I bet you were wearing a jacket, like a white lab coat, were you?
6: Yeah. <laughs> well, not the white lab coat, but we were dressed like very professionally. Yeah. And, and, and the machine was like one of these large um, machines. It was making all sorts of these, of these brain scanner noises, so the whole thing seemed very credible. Mm-hmm. And then what we were looking at is, what's the difference in people's minds? when they're choosing these numbers. Um, So the difference in their head when they thought the machine was reading their mind versus when they thought the machine was influencing them. And we found a very large difference in people's feelings of control over their thoughts. So people, when they thought they were being influenced, they would say things like, oh, I could feel my head swelling. My head was getting very hot. (laughs) One person said that there was this voice that would drag him onto some particular number. That that he didn't want. So say that he wanted the number fourteen. He was trying to choose fourteen, but he felt his voice was wow was drawing him towards twenty eight. Um, some people said that they would, like this number would pop into their head. Like say the number five would pop into their head, and then they said that they couldn't change it. Like this number would just jump in there, and then they would try to think of another number, but it just wouldn't work. Um, somebody else said that her eyes were flickering back and forth as all these numbers were going by in her head, and then her eyes would stop on one number, and that would be the number that she has to choose.
3: And so, what is that? It, that they're just they're they're attributing experiences to the study.
6: Yes. So basically,
3: making it up suggestion. really. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Um, wow. so just with the suggestion that the machine is, is, is going to in- influence them, they could sort of talk themselves into actually experiencing all of, uh, all of these different things, like this, this reduced control over their thoughts or, or, or their head swelling or like feeling, feeling the numbers sort of drilling in- inside of their head. Yeah. So basically we show that um, just through suggestion, you can take the average person and make them really believe and experience that they're, that they're losing control of their mind.
3: Wow, that is scary. I mean, I, I guess we've always kind of sensed that we could do that, right? Um, but and I guess we could also we could also use their or work their mind or influence their mind to think think other thoughts, right? Like positive things. Could, could I could I put thoughts into your mind that would make you be a better person, treat others better?
6: Yeah, so that was um, something that we actually studied in a, in, a, in a second study that um, we just completed now. Um, so we used the same kind of method, although we told them this time that this machine is 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 able to see their deep down true attitudes that they have. Um, so say that somebody thinks that sure that they're sort of a, a, an average helping person, they're kind of charitable sometimes. We told them that. Deep down, we can see how charitable they really are, so like how charitable their brain is, whether they're very altruistic, very charitable versus versus not very charitable. And so we had this whole deceptive setup once again, and then um, they filled out various questionnaires while again the machine would um, would uh, try to guess their responses. And then so once we convinced them that we could see their their like inner true attitudes. We told half of them randomly that their brain is actually a lot more charitable than they think they are. And then we told another half of them they're actually a lot less charitable, a lot less helping than they believe they were. And then um, <laughs> wow. we had them fill out some more questionnaires. Yeah, And, and we found that, that the people who we told, deep down, they're more charitable they would have a large increase in in how charitable they they actually saw themselves. So basically, if if you convince somebody that deep down they are something, they'll start seeing themselves um, corresponding with that.
3: Holy cow! So the
6: people who we told are more charitable, they started saying I'm more charitable. The people who we told were less, they started saying that that they were less. Um, we found a couple in- interesting things though. Yeah, what'd you find? We said, um, why do you think? That you got this feedback that your um, that your brain is in some cases uh, more charitable, and for some people that that is less charitable. And then eighty percent of them would just jump onto some um, some kind of reason for this. So they would say uh, they would say things like, "Oh, well, like yeah, I think I am actually more charitable than I wrote. Like I I donate a lot of money, and I I actually donate a lot of my college funds to a homeless person, and." For the people who we said you're actually less charitable, we would say, um, "Why do you think this is?" And then they would jump on some um, some kind of reason. They would say, "Well, I know actually I don't really donate a lot. I, I pass homeless people on the street in Montreal quite a bit, and I and I uh, I almost never donate." Hmm. So people they uh, find they could it. yeah yeah they could rationalize this feedback that they got although the feedback was completely random. So like they could sort of talk themselves into explaining why they got this uh, this feedback that they believed was like deep right. down
3: well is down. that i mean we we always we and i don't i mean some believe in it of like people that read your hand or read your cards and um all of a sudden they're going through telling you things you know i i sense or read your fortune i guess some i sense there's somebody in your life and are these gentle little uh, suggestions? Then we will go in and make sense of. We we are the ones that will turn it and interpret it into something meaningful for us.
6: Yeah, definitely. So there's uh, I, I I guess two aspects of this when these people are trying to um, read your future. Um, first, we know that when you're given sort of ambiguous or vague feedback, uh, I'm kind of what they got here. Just saying generally, you're more charitable than than you think they are. Um, you'll you'll often interpret this in like very very meaningful ways and uh, and you'll think about examples of how of how this might happen in the future and and you'll feel that this is very personal for you so they've done some studies where they gave people a personality reading that said things like sometimes you feel very confident although sometimes when nobody's around you're a little bit insecure or mm. or, or, or some things like um, you're you're very close with some of your friends but some of the friends that you're close with uh, at times you don't like them very much and <laughs> they gave these personality readings which were actually all the same to a bunch of people and the majority of them said yes like this really describes me this is really who I am Wow so like they could uh, um, interpret these things as, as very specific
3: and relate to it and connect to it uh jay let's take a break we're going to come back more with jay olson on uh, the psychology of magic and uh really the irrational behavior sometimes of our own brains and minds stick with us more with jay olson when we come back this is the matt townsend show back to the Matt Townsend Show. The power of suggestion. It, uh, our mind will make it work one way or another, whether we suggest are suggested things that are positive or if we are suggested things that are negative, our brain will make the connection. That's some of the research Jay Olson is finding as he is studying experimental psychology at McGill University. He has a master's in science there and uh, is teaching us today about uh, the mind it's such uh, i guess it's irrational is that how you'd put it jay it our mind will make meaning in anything
6: yes that's basically what we're finding like um we're very irrational and uh, and also very suggestible mm. so in the right context you can take the average person and make them experience and believe and behave sometimes in in and in fairly extreme ways just through suggestion
3: I guess so. It should work that if I suggest to my children that they're great at something, they might start believing they're great at it. Is there is there a downside to the suggestions, or is it the you know the person will eventually be alright either
6: way? Well, normally with these um, suggestions, they vary quite a bit based on the uh, the context and uh, the person, but generally. Um, we do find that if you give people um, small suggestions, then uh, then like they will change their attitudes and uh, and their behavior accordingly. So you see lots of this in in medicine and the placebo effect, for example. Um, so doctors who who prescribe some some kind of pill uh, and they say, if you take this, you'll you'll feel better and your uh, your flu will go away, your fever will go down. Just that suggestion and the expectations that the people have that, that this is going to improve them helps in, improve their symptoms and so the placebo effect is um, one of the most robust examples that we have of how how little suggestions like this may have a, a large impact on uh, on your life
3: it's and again even because uh, placebo could even change certain Health issues, right? I mean, with a placebo effect, we actually might not need to medicate somebody simply because they believe they are being medicated, and that that could prove advantageous.
6: Yeah, definitely. And uh, and, and there have been lots of, of cases and, and studies showing that um, for some people, whether they take the the pill itself, like the active pill, or or a placebo effect or a, a placebo pill rather, it'll it'll show basically the same improvement within them. So it seems like in, in some cases, a lot of the improvement that they're getting is actually from suggestion and expectation and not actually from the, the ingredients in the pill itself. Hmm.
3: Where, do you, where do you see using this in the future? Where do you want to take the research and how are ways that we as parents can be using it?
6: Well, what we're generally trying to study is a suggestion without hypnosis necessarily. So there has been a, a lot of research on on hypnosis and, and the suggestions that's being used there, but we're more interested in just the suggestion itself that uh, that works on the uh, on the average person. Hmm. Um, so what we're doing now is we're trying to see how this uh, how this may affect health. So, for example, if you tell somebody that they're actually more healthy, or or if their brain, for example, is, is actually more athletic than than they believe they are. Will this uh, will this impact some uh, some health behaviors that they have? So, for example, well, what kinds of foods foods they eat, or um, how often they run, for example. So, we're looking at how how these kinds of suggestions might uh, apply in in practical uh, practical ways in people's own lives, hmm.
3: which which is so counterintuitive because the doctor you'd think would only state the facts, but what if you could find out health-wise, you might help somebody's prognosis by stating also a little illusion or a suggestion um, that might impact health positively as well. Wow, interesting concept.
6: Definitely, so we don't want to, I mean, obviously deceive a right. a, a patient, but um, we do want to take a, a more practical look at this and say, um, say that the doctor can like lighten some things in, in in one way, or or like overemphasize more positive things. How will these affect um, suggestion and expectation, and uh, and 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 maybe make this placebo effect stronger, so you can uh, help the patient more?
3: What uh, as you? who are you're in this and and you're working this what have you figured out just about your day-to-day life has it changed at all like so now when somebody is trying to sell you a magic trick or trying to you know get you to buy something does has it changed how you accept their suggestions
6: yeah one thing that's happened is uh, i i become a lot more aware of of all the suggestions that we that we sort of normally give throughout the day um, so one example that pops into, into my head is uh, i I had hurt my knee during a, a workout, uh, and then and then I told my dad that I um, hurt my knee a bit, and then my dad said, "Oh, well, it might be hurting a bit now, but in the morning that's when you're really going to feel it. That's when it'll be hurting more." <laughs> and then I, yeah. I I was thinking like he's just trying to he's just ch- trying to be honest, right? But that's not the kind of suggestion that you want to give someone. <laughs> you want to say something like. Yeah, and and, and make sure that you're very careful um, with it in in the morning, and and it'll recover in no time or something like that. Yeah, there you go. That's interesting, yeah.
3: And and maybe we ought to all be looking more at our suggestions and rewriting them.
6: Definitely, yeah. Uh, and uh, and so it might be about a knee, or, or as you as we were talking about it before, it might be a note on somebody's door saying, don't be scared, and sleeping in your <laughs> right. living room. But we'll uh, learn how to give people more positive suggestions.
3: That was a great, uh, great example. Well, Jay Olson, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at McGill University. And we suggest everybody go check out Jay's site, jayolson.org. Just a lot of uh, links to other research that he's been a part of. Wonderful stuff. Boy, we're all a little, uh, we're all a little influenceable and thank heavens in a way. We don't want to be so rigid. We can't Late. Well, if you uh, want to stick around for a really awesome, fun, exciting time, I'm suggesting it'll be
6: incredible
3: to be here. It's time, friends, to uh, go down to visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jeremy, and find out what will be coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen.
1: What is good? Hi,
3: Matt. How you are?
1: Um, We is good. It's weird right now. Let's just say that.
3: Is it weird? It seems a a little weird. BYU, uh, you know, played Wisconsin. Didn't look so good.
1: What do you think? It's a tough game. Wisconsin's They're the best game on BYU's schedule. Yeah. They are, I, I thought that would be LSU. No, no, no. I said Wisconsin preseason. I said Wisconsin's the best
5: season. They have NFL talent
1: littered all over their roster, mm. as does LSU, as does Utah. So BYU's <laughs> played this crazy three-game stretch. Uh, the offense, uh, one of the worst in the country right now. Uh, part of that has to do with the fact that BYU is kind of young and inexperienced, played a backup quarterback, played a true freshman running back. Doesn't quite have it on the, on the perimeter like they wanted this early. All of those things combined to yield you know, tough numbers offensively. BYU's got a bye week. They have Utah State after that, and then they're back in at Boise State. Mm. At Mississippi State, who, by the way, beat LSU by 30. I know. A team that BYU lost to by 27. So right now Mississippi State is 57 points better. No, that's not actually.
3: Is that how the math works? <laughs> that math Transitive is complicated. Transitive property.
5: Because it's a perfect science match. Transitive property. That, is
3: that what that is? Okay. Yes. That's you, the actual term. Is it really? Well, Man. we a
1: lot in sports. So-and-so beat X beat Y and Y beat Z, so X is greater than Z. Mm.
5: See, I hate math. Which means math. Utah Valley University last year in men's basketball greater than Gonzaga. Gonzaga.
1: Transitive property national title. <laughs>
3: See, you guys, everybody thinks that once you're, you're done doing your show, you just go watch sports, but you don't. You read sports math We read math mathematical books. journals. Yes. I did not know that's what you were doing. <laughs> that's great news. Yeah. Um, so should we is – this, is this when we start to panic? When now, does a BYU fan panic?
1: Well, here's the thing. BYU going to play a bunch of slouches on the back end. Yeah. Okay? A bunch of bozos. As Brian Logo says – Boo-boo Johnsons, okay? <laughs> BYU's going to get some wins. BYU's going to a bowl game. The question is, are they a seven, eight, nine win team? So those that think BYU's not going to a bowl game, guess what? BYU ain't playing a top 25 team again until Mississippi State. And even then, everybody else is in the Mountain West or Independent or the AAC uh, or whatever.
3: But it's, like, scary because I don't know that we've ever seen a quarterback, you know, struggling like this right now.
5: Well—
1: Back BYU's up. had some poor quarterback play. You're right. It's pretty epic offensive numbers. But in terms of the strength of schedule, in yeah. 2004 and 1990, BYU played a similar stretch of tough games and went 1-3 and three both times. Hmm. And in, sorry, 1991. And guess what? In 1991, BYU had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. He was
5: the reigning still, Heisman Trophy winner. And still went 1-3 and in the first God. four. Yeah,
3: what are you going to do? Anchor voice. Yes. When you
5: play high-level competition back-to-back-to-back to back to back, Typically, these are going to be the results for a team and program like BYU. The fact that BYU
1: has stated we'll play anyone, anytime, anywhere, sometimes it doesn't work out. (laughs) Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And there's risk. Exposure! Sometimes there's negative exposure. BYU's been lit up two of the last three weeks on national TV, and that stinks. Mm. But it doesn't last forever. Okay, BYU's going to win uh, six, seven, eight, nine games. Somewhere in that range this year, I, I think seven plus in the regular season, and they'll be they'll be just fine. But this if, is the low point. This is the lowest point in BYU football the last three four seasons.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's fine, right? I mean, who can't take it once every
1: four seasons? Since Taysom Hill got hurt uh, with a 4-0 record, BYU lost four in a row. To me, that's the lowest point from then until now. Lowest because BYU,
5: BYU got blown out by Boise State. They lost to Nevada. Central Florida. Right. And somebody else.
3: Well, and not Coast all State the news State was State. negative. Uh, in I can't remember where I saw it. Uh, probably Deseret News. Really positive feedback from the Wisconsin fans about how nice BYU fans are.
5: Yay! Moral victory. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we may very well be the nicest fans in, in the world.
1: That doesn't win you a single game. I know. Darn it. But, it does... but off the field, we're winning championships. That's Top-ranked right. Top-ranked fireside team in the country. What's Dome coming? cold sober. <laughs>
3: what's coming up on your show today, gents?
1: ESPN's Trevor Manich will join us to discuss what's going on with BYU football. <laughs> Plus, our Twitter question is this. What's your DEFCON level right now for Ooh. BYU football? Remember, Ooh. one is severe. One's... One yeah. is
5: the worst. One is nuclear war is imminent. Ooh, okay. wow. Five is... Whatever. You know, uh, Bob, Mar- Bob Marley's playing music for everyone. status quo yeah. yeah everyone's good
3: yeah that's definitely defcon three two defcon two
5: okay oh you're defcon two
3: yeah if i have a cougar tail i'm a three
5: okay defcon re- two when you want to look at like actual u.s history defcon two <laughs> was the cuban missile crisis Matt. yes that's are you pretty, at that point yeah pretty... it's a lot are you like at that point
3: <laughs> no i'm not i'm actually not personally but i've had friends that you know seemed like this was the end
5: Oh, there are a lot of BYU fans that are at Nuclear War is Eminent, DEFCON 1.
1: <laughs> Guys. Here's, here's my worst tease of the day. Ready? Yeah. My answer may surprise you. Ooh. That's oh. my bad tease. That's
3: your bad tease. That, bad that was a that segment
1: called way. Bad Teases. Yeah, that Glad was, we got that out of the way. That was a
3: really, really <laughs> bad tease. Coming up tease.
1: next, it something may. about BYU sports. <laughs> sports conversation in English.
3: Well, guys, it sounds like a great show. I uh, wish we could just – I know we've got to let you go. I'd just love to keep talking to you until your show starts, but I know you've got to wax on and wax off. Uh, great guys. Um, by the way, again, they too are celebrating Cheeseburger Day. So today is the day that you've got to get the cheeseburger on. Take those kids, pack them into the car, celebrate the love of Well, at of McDonald's, you can buy a crusty Burger with cheese, right? But they don't call it a crusty Burger
6: with cheese. Cut out! Well, what do they call it? A quarter pounder with cheese. Quarter pounder with cheese? Well, I can picture the cheese, but uh do they have
8: crusty, partially gelatinated, non-dairy gum-based beverages?
6: <laughs> mm-hmm. They call them shakes.
3: <laughs> shakes. No, know what you're getting? Uh, the Simpsons. They also celebrate Cheeseburger Day. Today, uh, there are many theories to the beginning of cheeseburger dating back to the 1920s. Uh, Some say it started in Pasadena when they invented the cheeseburger in 1926. uh, um, A guy named Lionel Sternberger invented it apparently at his father's Pasadena sandwich shop, the right spot. But also other places, for example, theories from L.A., Louisville, Kentucky uh, to Illinois, Denver, Colorado, they're all claiming a little bit of the prize. Anyway, let's get to our hero story uh, today. The hero is a janitor that helped stop a gunman during a school shooting near Spokane. Police say janitor helped stop the gunman during, during the shooting on Wednesday south of Spokane. One student was shot and killed. Three others were hospitalized in the shooting at Freeman High School. Thursday, Sheriff Ozzy uh, Nezovich said that the custodian at the school helped detain the shooter. Shots were fired about 10:15 a.m. Police say the gunman was a student of the school. The student killed in the shooting walked up to the gunman, police said, and tried to stop him. And uh, the custodian, Joe Bowen, is credited with helping stop the gunman. Uh, those are rare people, Sheriff Ozzy Nezavich said on Thursday. Nezevich said Bowen confronted the gunman, got him to the ground, and kept him there. He wants no recognition for what he did. Nezevich said commending Bowen's actions and calling him a true blue hero. So he's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And that is our program, my friends. We uh, will always be here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon, for you to help you get through life in the best, healthiest way possible. BYU Sports Nation is up next.